0: I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, if you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast where we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of January 2022, and we are in the midst of an entire month of uh, kind of going back and taking a look at 2021 releases. Uh, so all month long, we've been reviewing films uh, from the last calendar year, uh, and. As you may have noticed during the intro here, uh, my good buddy Kyle is back on the show. Mm -hmm. Always good to have Kyle uh, back in the recording booth. But uh, being as he's made his return, I figured it would only be appropriate to have Kyle uh, select our final pick uh, for reviews of 2021 films. So, Kyle, would you care to inform our dear listeners uh, what film it was that you selected for our final review of January 2022?
1: I'm a fucking idiot. I'm a fucking idiot. Oh, man. I chose <laughs> Prisoners of the Ghostland from 2021, uh, directed by Sion Sono.
0: Did I say that correct? Uh, Sion Sono is is how I, I think it's pronounced, yeah.
1: Okay, that sounds better. Uh, yeah, so the story behind this was that I was actually wanting to do antlers uh, for this for this pick, but it's a little too expensive right now. Um, also wanted to do uh, Raccoon City, the newest Resident Evil flick, but uh, it, it you still can't rent it and you have to purchase it, which honestly I might, I might just go ahead and get that on Blu-ray, that was a, that was a fun time, I had a good time with that, but I chose what I thought was Willy's Wonderland, uh, but I chose Prisoners of the Ghost Land, <laughs> and I knew it was going to be an issue when Bill Mosley popped his head into the film, and I knew at that moment that I had fucked up, and... Yes,
0: I did. I did fuck up. Uh, yeah, Kyle Dunn did a boo boo. Yeah, uh, he done fucked up. He's a quote fucking idiot. <laughs> See, the thing is, is when
1: when you ask like what time I want to record today, I'm like, oh, I, I got to watch the film, so maybe here around three thirty your time. And then you didn't get back to me, and then I rented the movie and was watching it, and you're like, um, I'll probably need to do a little bit later, like three thirty ish, because I'm just now starting the film. I'm like shit. I thought you watched it last night. So I'm like, there's no time to stop. I would have stopped refunded. Like I would have stopped it and just say, Hey, don't do this, do a different, we're going to do Willie's wonderland instead. But I'm like, I'm not going to have him rent two different movies. We only do one. Uh, so I was just like, well, it's too late now. We're just going to have to
0: go with this. Yeah, th- Such, such is the problem uh, in recording <gasps> remotely. Uh, yeah. These, these things happen folks, but you know, we're going to persevere. We're going to get through this together going to be a grand old time i hope uh but at the end of the day uh, kyle's a fucking idiot and <laughs> i'm i'm really bad at replying to texts so we're, we're both we're both at fault in our own way everybody <laughs> learned a
1: lesson today yes
0: <laughs> everybody learned a lesson yeah. kyle uh do better at examining the poster art and double checking the title of the film you're paying good money to watch be trevor better, check your man. damn phone well just just do it <laughs>
1: this uh this is on shutter and i still have my shutter subscription right now so
0: oh okay okay i see how that works Where it's yeah. just like well it's on the shutter i already yeah. have this well I, I may as well pick this
1: i was just looking i was looking for it i'm like oh it's on shutter yeah,
0: yeah. um but yeah this was this was a kind of a, a bizarre uh mix-up uh that resulted uh, in us uh reviewing a film that we i guess uh kyle hadn't intended us to uh, yeah. but like i said we're going to get through it anyway but oh a true um, catching up a true catching up a true catching up on cinema both both people were utterly confused by what they were doing <laughs> when they were doing it yeah um uh, but uh willie's wonderland uh to anybody who might care to know uh, is apparently directed by kevin lewis um and as far as i can tell the, the premise behind that is uh nick cage goes to a five nights at freddy's or a uh, a showbiz pizza or a, a Chuck E. Cheese equivalent and uh, battles uh, demonic animatronic creatures uh, for 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not this film that we'll be reviewing, so if you're more interested in that, maybe pause this podcast and go out and watch Willy's Wonderland. I haven't seen it myself, nor has Kyle, uh, so we can't vouch for the quality of that. Uh, however, it's most certainly a very different film uh, as compared to Prisoners of the Ghostland. But Kyle, uh, before we get into Prisoners of the Ghostland... Uh, I, I'm pretty sure there are people out there who maybe don't know who Bill Mosley is. Um, so maybe, maybe if you could take a second to explain why uh, the presence of Bill Mosley was uh, kind of a trigger point for you, um, that would probably be helpful. Yeah, like why him appearing was alarming to you? Oh, it was
1: so <laughs> alarming. Because uh, Bill Mosley has done almost exclusively in the past ten years. Uh, actually, maybe in the past twenty years. Um, is done almost exclusively um, C-level uh, horror movies and Rob Zombie films. Uh, so, that's a, that's a, he he's fine enough in the Rob Zombie movies, but those are the only ones I've seen where I'm like, oh, that was something. Like, he did something in there. But when he's not with Rob Zombie, it can't be good. So, when I saw him outside of a Rob Zombie movie, I'm like, this is going to be awful. Because... He has one set of tools, and it's Otis from The Devil's Rejects or House of a Thousand Corpses. It's that, it's that character alone that he can do. Um, and those movies aren't even good. Like, none of those movies are good, but at least he has something going on in those movies. Um, if you look at his IMDb, you'll see, like, oh, he is just in the absolute bottom-of-the-barrel even like Danny Trejo like contemporary Danny Trejo movies aren't even that bad
0: um so yeah that was a big trigger for me was this is Bill Mosley this is gonna be yeah I I wouldn't put it past him to have a small role in like Danny Trejo this the Danny Trejo vehicle badasses three badassery on the run or something like that but yeah Bill Mosley is a veteran of horror cinema dating back to the 80s I'm actually looking at his filmography right now just for funsies and uh most people know him for like his kind of like most iconic role, I guess, is Chop Top from Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two. Yeah. Hey, hey,
1: hey, hey!
0: Dog will hunt. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he he's he's one of those specialized tools that like if you if you know what you need him for, uh, he's very handy to have uh, in in your deck of cards. And uh, like you said, uh, Rob Zombie has made extensive use of him in a lot of his movies as of late. Um, funny enough, I, I think uh, he has been on catching up on cinema in the form of uh, the review I did with your brother Nick, uh, the Blob. Uh, he? Oh, has, a he very, he's a, has a very small role. Uh, he's he's just a, a guy in a sewer that is panicked. Like he's not there to be traditional, like crazy Bill Moseley. He's just like scared guy in a, in the sewer. Okay. Um, but yeah, I understand um, why you might just like wince a little bit when he comes on the screen and starts. Uh, spouting endless dialogue um, in this movie. Um, But yeah, we should probably get to explaining this movie. So uh, this is Prisoners of the Ghostland*. Of course, uh, the theme this month is movies from 2021. So this did, in fact, come out in 2021. And it is directed by Shion Sono, uh, who, uh, funny enough, uh, as we said up top, uh, this is a true catching up on cinema, being as uh, not only had neither of us seen the film, I don't think either of us had... Very much of an understanding of what it actually was. I remember when it was announced. Uh, however, I, I didn't bother to watch any of the trailers for it or anything like that because I frankly just wasn't that interested. Like on paper, I could totally see a, like a certain breed of Japanophile or a certain like fan of like I don't know extreme indie cinema or something like absolutely just gobbling this shit up just based on the poster art and some of the poll quotes and stuff. But for me, I, I just caught a whiff of something I just wasn't terribly interested in Mm. and just kind of wrote it off pretty early on but what I'm getting at when I say it's a true catching up is that uh, Shion Sono is a a critically acclaimed director Um, he's been active for a few decades now he he puts asses in seats in certain indie circles Uh, he's a big name Um, however I don't believe either of us had ever seen any of his films uh, prior to this one Um, and having finished this film having watched it I don't think it's especially representative of his, his oeuvre, like like <laughs> his creative flavor, his artistic merits and whatnot. Um, but, you know, at some point you got to dip your toes into the pool. And uh, I guess this served as our introduction, not an especially good introduction, but our introduction uh, to Shion Sono. So um, do you think you got enough from this that you you'd be inclined to check out some of his other works?
1: Actually, yes. I would there's a couple of films of his that I would check out uh just because of the reputation that you say he has,
0: not based off based not based off of my
1: experience with this
0: film. I think that's very fair. because um, I I mostly agree with you. Like I said, I I only I only knew Shion Sono by reputation and uh just to throw it out there uh, a couple of the movies of his that I'd be especially interested to check out um would be uh, Suicide Club, I remember when uh, I was in high school, I uh, made the rounds. Some people were passing that DVD around at the lunch table and stuff. Um, because, I don't know, I, I hung out with people that were into that particular brand of Japanese cinema. This was around the same time like Battle Royale and Ichi the Killer were being whispered about uh, in the cafeteria and stuff. Uh, I never got hold of it. I never watched it. But that's kind of the uh, his first like big mainstream hit. So I'd, I'd very much like to check that out. Um, Tokyo Tribe... Uh, from a novelty aspect sounds very intriguing to me it's it's kind of like a west side story but set in like modern day Tokyo uh, with like a a gang war situation and it's also a hip-hop musical on top of that Uh, just just for the novelty factor of the production uh, that sounds interesting I don't know if it's good but that sounds interesting Um, and uh, love exposure as far as I understand despite its epic length is apparently like one of his most personal films and probably like his most critically acclaimed uh, so that, that would be maybe my first choice of films to, like, check out to, like, get an actual feel for, for his filmography and his flavor. But uh, how about you, Kyle? Did you, did you grab any, like, glimpsing at his filmography that you might want to start out with if you, if you gave him a try?
1: Uh, what was it? The sui- uh, Suicide Club? Uh, club, yeah. Yeah, Suicide Club. And the, what was the porn one? Anti-porno? Oh,
0: an- yeah, anti-porno.
1: Yeah, anti-porno. That was the one that uh, those are the two that kind of popped out for me.
0: Yeah, and as far as I understand, both are, are fairly critically acclaimed, anti-porno in particular. Suicide Club sounded more like, not popcorn cinema, but just, you know, more more like a, a slightly mainstream project. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also supposed to be quite good for the most part. But um, yeah, uh, this was both of our introductions to Shion and Sono. So like I said, not the best introduction, but we we got it done. Uh, so Kyle, uh, coming back to Prisoners of the Ghost Land, um, would you care uh, to attempt to give us a plot rundown or a plot summary of this project. Folks at home, you can't see Kyle's face right now, um, but he he's he's doing the Dennis Farina in in another stakeout when he eats too much yeah. ice cream too fast kind of face. Just pounded he, it. Yeah. He, yeah, he he has brain freeze without there being any freeze involved. <laughs> yes.
1: Um <laughs> I honestly so, like, bare bones, what they give us in the plot. I think I'm just going to read the IMDb plot summary because that is going to be the best that I can do. Um, un- I'll, I'll read the longer one. Uh, <laughs> that's classier. <laughs> Set in the treacherous frontier city of, of Samurai Town, where a ruthless bank robber is sprung from jail by a wealthy warlord, the governor, whose adopted granddaughter, Bernice, has gone missing, the governor offers the prisoner... In this case hero Nicholas Cage, his freedom in exchange for retrieving the runaway strapped into a leather suit that will self-destruct within three days, the bandit sets off on a journey to find the young woman in his own path to redemption Thank you IMDB yeah. user whoever did that
0: Wow uh, you see it's funny actually from that plot description you can actually derive some of the problems with the film itself I guess. Well, because what what I what I glean from that is that um, this is a film that simultaneously feels the need to explain itself too much and too little, mm-hmm. um, because all the all the details about the suit and the explosives and the rules of the game, like i.e. the plot and whatnot, all of that is explained to us in detail in via exposition from Bill Mosley in this film, and it, it drags the thing to a grinding halt. Where it's just like, can we just? go do the thing and then there are huge chunks of it where they just like hand wave it away mm-hmm. it's just like we're, we're not even going to try to explain this but then there's certain seemingly like esoteric little details in the construction of the world and the characters and the, and the, the plot that the film just has to like put its foot down and, and just like spell it the fuck out to you and it's just like pick one or the other man like either give us all the nitty-gritty like give us all the details in the world like like treat me like i'm a fucking five-year-old or, or just do the crazy shit and just like plow straight ahead and just be like, you got to keep up, motherfucker, because we're not going to tell you anything. I <laughs> uh, See, I this was more like a
1: Yorgos movie where I felt that I was missing that piece that would make the entire film make sense. Because I came out this like the other side, like I did with Lobster. I'm like, I've got nothing, dude. Like, I don't know what they were trying to tell me. Somebody's going to get it and explain it to me. But I've got nothing. Um, and i that's how I felt this movie was going to be. And I was hoping, if we had Matt, I guarantee you Matt would just like completely explain this film perfectly.
0: I know, he has such a fucking knack for that. It it, yeah. it always makes me feel so fucking stupid. Like, <laughs> like I, I guess that's part of being the little brother. Is that, like, big brother has to show up and just be like, sit down, I'll explain this shit to you. I'll make it look easy. Because over and over and over again, we have him on the show, and he just, like rex house just just like writes this ship and, and explains all the details that seemingly both you and i missed but i'm sure he would find some way to provide meaning to a lot of the things that are seemingly meaningless in this
1: i think matt's gift is something that um i know i don't have and i think something you you do have but you might not be able to click it on as easily as him is i think that matt has the ability to stay engaged with a film that's otherwise disengaging and I do not. I stopped watching this movie as soon as it started. Honestly, like I was holding on for dear life. That's why this movie just went right
0: over my head because I could not. I could not pay attention. I think you're actually right. I think that's very accurate um, because I, I think a lot of it has to do with our our backgrounds, with our creativity and and writing in particular. It's because I I enjoy creative exercises. Um, I have seldom truly applied myself to putting them on paper and, and actually telling the story. I largely just kind of like come up with moments or ideas and fragments that I keep in my head. Whereas Matt has actually always tried to stress to me the importance of you can't skip from A to C in 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 creating an idea or, or telling a story. You need to it needs to go A B C. And the B is the part nobody wants to do. That's the legwork that nobody wants to put in, but it's absolutely necessary to telling the thing. So I think his experience in dealing with that and valuing that does like has the effect that you just described of, of keeping him engaged, even when it it's, even when it's like threatening to be totally disengaging. Um, and also I have a bad tendency, especially like as a consequence of reviewing films on the internet of, uh, sometimes getting mired in focusing on like utilitarian details, um, in regards to like the logistics of how the thing was put together and why it was put together, rather than what it true, rather than examining what it actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, having Matt involved in conversations like this is very helpful because he can he can just be like, I don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. Like I don't care what kind of dolly track the cameras yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like I'm busy trying to follow the characters and the drama and whatnot. <laughs> that, and I think that's
1: where I that's where I get lost because like. Uh, there are certain like art house directors that like easily other people would try to watch like this. They were just like this is going right over my head, and I'm like, oh, I can actually engage because I'm actually kind of getting something out of the performances, or there's actually some kind of a story here that I'm able to follow. But this was just it was <laughs> it, it, this was not a good Cage performance in my opinion.
0: Uh, well, as I had said um, uh, off air before we had recorded, um, this is a Japanese director. Uh, working from a script written by two Americans one of whom is Iranian born uh and the the script is presented not just in in English and Japanese uh this this film is conducted across four different languages um i would not be surprised at all if you know the language barrier came into play in terms of like the the structure of the direction of the project um there's a lot of things like that that possibly could be uh, at fault for for this like less than impressive Cage performance, um, but what I think is actually really interesting about this film is that uh, the the chosen tagline for it. Kyle, have you seen like the poster art? Have you taken a look at how this film was advertised? Dude, the poster art's amazing. Um,
1: before we do that, I have to tell you this before I forget. So apparently, this is the fourth collaboration, according to IMDb. This is the fourth collaboration between Nick Cage and uh, X Y Z after the highly acclaimed horror comedy mom and dad which is what you sent me a trailer for which was from 2017 i would have gone with that but it's you know it's from a few years ago uh and then they they also did mandy and color out of space we have completed uh three quarters of his films with this uh with this production company or whoever this distributor is
0: (laughs) that's funny i didn't know that i i know uh xyz films and i I did catch that uh, during the opening credits, but I didn't know he'd work with them uh, so frequently. But um, yeah, folks at home, the reason I sent Kyle that, that advertisement for uh, uh, Mom and Dad, or Dad and Mom, I forget how it's phrased, is because I found a Japanese poster art for it, and it's called, like, Mad Daddy yeah. <laughs> in, in Japan. And I was like, that's a title, and that's an interesting poster, so I was like, Kyle's got to see this. And that is
1: probably accurate in more way than one. Um, <laughs> Nick Cage, Mad yeah. Daddy. <laughs> uh, but the, no, the uh, post, that's the thing was that I had this movie. I remember watching the trailer. I didn't watch the trailer for this. I watched the trailer for uh, Willy's uh, Wonderland uh, several months ago. I think it was well before it came out. Um, so when I saw this, Prisoners of Ghostland, I saw the front cover. I'm like, oh, that's got to be it. Like, that, that's, that's the film that I'm thinking of. Um, and, the, and the poster's awesome. And the poster, the poster makes you think that there's good, like even looking at the poster, I'm like, this is at least going to be fun. Like, there's going to be some interesting stuff. It does not at all play the play out the way you think it's going to.
0: Yeah, it's it's a more sedate experience than the poster art would have you believe. Um, the poster art seems like it's going to be wild and bombastic and over the top. It, it is in fits and spurts, absolutely, um, but not not in its entirety. But. um, what the detail I wanted to draw attention to on the poster art is there's a poll quote that I've seen thrown all over the internet is a quote Nicolas Cage, The Wildest Movie The Wildest Movie I've ever made. Nope. Uh, not even close. N- no, but um I wanna say there's probably some truth in that. Um, just based on what I had said about the nature of, of the direction of the project. It's like mm. this is a, a multiple language film directed by a crazy Japanese indie director with a with a reputation. Um, and then if you look at some of the production design and a lot of the extras work in the film and the sets, um, I would not be surprised at all if maybe the energy on the set and the ideas at work that didn't necessarily translate to the finished product um, were wild and, and very enticing uh, to someone like Nick Cage, where it's just like the, the chaos and mayhem on the set may have been really interesting to him uh, but i don't think any of it really translated to the screen uh, per se but so i i want to say there is some truth to that quote only problem is it's there's some false qualities to it just based on what we actually got but anyway we should probably get to the film proper uh, so kyle uh, couldn't even attempt to give a proper plot summary without the aid of imdb so thank you imdb but um one thing that's funny is what Kyle had said about the, the XYZ Entertainment. Um, the the opening production banners uh, at the top of this movie um, were puzzling to say the least. Um, I have I have not seen about three quarters of the production logos and banners uh, that precede this film. Like it, it's kind of all over the place, and all of them have like weird and and just kind of low budget looking like like little animations that play before the before the logos are displayed like rlj entertainment's like the major distributor for it i have plenty of their dvds and stuff this this movie is very much in their wheelhouse but then we also have like boss boss bang bang and like 11 arts and then saturn films and then uh this really gaudy animation for patriot pictures (laughs) it's just like who the fuck financed this thing and I, I want to say that that's honestly the, like kind of the big question is that the, the flavor of this project has the kind of feel of like, this is a massively international project that by American standards seems like very humble. Um, but I want to say there were a lot of hands in this particular cookie jar because I'm what lo- I'm looking at like, like the box office figures for this thing. I actually can't find the budget for it, but I wouldn't be surprised if this actually had a decent budget by Japanese movie standards. Um, But I'm guessing the money came from, like, all four corners of the globe. Did you did you read anything on the trivia about this?
1: The IMDb trivia?
0: I did not. Uh, oh, did you?
1: I did. So th- I might have some answers to your questions. So as much as this is true, I don't know. Uh, so apparently the movie was delayed for a year after the director had a heart attack. Um... And Nicolas Cage apparently, allegedly, moved the movie from Mexico to Japan after he suffered the heart attack. So I think there might have been I think that might answer some of your questions of why it feels so strange.
0: Uh, I mean, honestly, that that's a pretty major shakeup on the set of a of a like a major international film, like quote major. Like by by Japanese standards, anyway.
1: Two other actors mo- uh, dropped out: uh, Imogen Poots and Ed Sk-
0: uh, Ed Skrine? Screen. Screen. Yeah, Ed Screen from a uh, Deadpool is the only place I know him from. He's the bad guy from the first Deadpool. Imogen Poots is actually a fairly big name, and I think a previous uh, guest on the show. Uh, she was the leading gal from a uh, green room.
1: Oh yes, okay. So apparently, Sophia Batella, um replaced her and then Cassavetes replaced the other person
0: i uh, that makes sense but that's that's a major shake up um so factoring that in it's like you know that is a major liability to any production um but yeah our opening scene after all the uh production logos uh, we we get we get off to a a a very strange start we we do get our principal cast members names listed on screen um but the first location we have is this uh white room um that's sparsely decorated all the p pe- all the all the a- extras in the background of the scene are dressed like dick tracy characters um with very loud like sing- single colored like raincoats and caps and whatnot um and the whole room is painted a stark white um and right off the bat we have all these uh, anachronisms uh readily apparent on the screen screen and this is something that translates to all of the production design uh for the remainder of the film is these props and and ideas and and design aesthetics uh that that don't really have a, a proper um moment in time uh to accommodate all of them so like for instance we have like torches on the wall uh right next to like electrical lighting fixtures in this room um and even the construction of of this room uh, feels evocative of Japanese architecture from hundreds of years ago, um, and this design aesthetic translates like throughout the entirety of the project. I I don't exactly know what meaning to derive from this, but at the very least, it's visually interesting. Um, but then we meet our uh, our adorable little boy, Kyle. Um, this this fucking kid, like like very good casting. He's so goddamn cute. <laughs> um, like, and he's, he has a wonderful smile and and he's got this like he's got like a, a cup full of like what appears to be gumballs or candies, yeah. yeah and uh he runs up to this this uh very very colorful gumball machine uh that's off to the side of the room and he's just kind of staring at it and there's like a moment of peace uh before the door is kicked in and uh Nicolas cage as the character uh, the only name assigned to him i believe is just a straight up hero mm-hmm. um and nick cassavetes uh who funny enough kyle and i both recognize this uh interesting casting yeah. being as uh nicholas cage and nick cassavetes shared the screen in face off uh back in the mid 90s however i don't believe they ever worked together again after that i haven't dug deep enough to check on that but it's a, it's a cute little reunion of two people who were in a, a massive box office success movie together, uh, in the nineties. And also Nick Cassavetes is an interesting screen presence. Um, he every does, time yeah. you see him, he, he always presents something. Um, and even here, like he has very little dialogue, but he just has a way about him. That's always compelling. I, uh, I guess kind of similar to Nick cage. He just finds a way to make something interesting, uh, no matter how minor it may seem. Um, but yeah, Kyle, uh, this turns into, a I, I believe this is supposed to be a bank robbery, correct?
1: Uh, uh Trevor, hang on. <laughs> I'm sorry. So you and I both know, you do know that obviously uh, Nick Cassavetes is John Cassavetes' son. Yes. Do you want to know, so I figured that he would be a director, like he had directed quite a few films. Do you know what film Nick Cassavetes has directed? Uh, no. You may have to tell me. Oh, my gosh. Dude, you are never gonna believe this. I'm gonna give you two of the main actors, and you could you tell me if you can name the movie. Ready? James Gardner and Rachel McAdams. James Gardner? James Garner. G- Garner? Gar- James <laughs> Garner and Rachel McAdams.
0: Fuck if I know. I don't know who James Garner is. <laughs> and Rachel Cat. McAdams is one of those people... She's one of those pleasant Canadians that just does nothing for me it's like i'm always happy to see her but she's never a selling point
1: nick cassavetes directed the notebook what nick, <laughs> nick cass i'm <laughs> nick cassavetes directed the notebook wow. i am i am not lying i'm looking at it right now you can verify it if you want <laughs> mine not aware of that mine is blown
0: yeah, I haven't seen that movie myself. However, it carries a reputation yeah. among people of a certain age. Oh,
1: it's awful. Uh, Don't get me wrong. It, it's, <laughs> it's it's not my cup of tea,
0: but people do enjoy it. There's a lot of people that absolutely adore wow. that movie. Um, I haven't seen it personally. I've never been asked to see that movie, thankfully. <laughs> Kyle's, Kyle just needs a minute to collect himself. He's just so, He's just so blown away. Never Although, would have seen that coming.
1: My my internet cut out again, but also he directed one of my favorite movies, awful movies, Alpha Dog.
0: Oh, uh is that Justin Timberlake or mm-hmm. uh, Okay, yeah. Yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I I've I've heard it's oh. I haven't heard good or bad. I just hear it's a thing. <laughs> oh,
1: it's it's worth watching. It's stupid, but it's it's definitely worth watching. We'll we'll, we'll cover it at some point
0: i would like that actually because i've i have heard you toss that name around a few times and i i don't really know the reputation of it other than the the expression you make when you bring it up <laughs> yeah um, but yeah uh this uh this does erupt into a bank robbery we actually do get to hear nicholas cage speak some japanese in this film uh in this case he says Urusai, uh, which is basically like be quiet or shut up <laughs> uh in Japanese. <laughs> so he at least learned that much. Um and as I had said, uh this movie is is billed as uh, Shion Sono's first en- English language production. Uh however it is very much a multilingual experience. Uh I I don't know if uh, you caught any additional ones, but I caught no less than four spoken languages in this film. Oh no. Uh yeah, it's it's majority uh English and Japanese. Uh, Maybe even more Japanese than English, honestly, which is not surprising whatsoever, given the nature of the production. But uh, there's also uh, Chinese, I think Mandarin, um, and French, quite a bit of French as well, which I wouldn't be surprised if some of those production banners came from French production houses. Okay.
1: I did catch some French in there. I forgot. Yeah,
0: there's some French. um, The the subtitles, I watched this film via uh, YouTube. uh, Hmm. I rented it via YouTube. You said you watched it via Shutter. Yeah. Um, the the YouTube subtitles were kind of goofy because anytime someone's speaking anything other than English, they label it as Japanese, and it's just like that that's very clearly French coming out of a white guy's mouth, but whatever. <laughs> and, and then sometimes they don't even bother to subtitle it in the YouTube version, where it's just like it says speaking Japanese, but it's like you know it'd be really handy if you actually told us designated what, what those words might mean. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was weird. Um, I, I did not expect to have to like try my best to, to remember my Japanese <laughs> like during the viewing of this film. But it actually did help a little from time to time. Uh, because, yeah, they didn't translate everything uh, for whatever reason. But, um, yeah, uh, they kick open the door. Uh, and this turns into a bank robbery of this establishment. And uh, we have this shot dedicated to the little boy, seemingly totally unfazed uh, by the two... Uh, gigantic white men brandishing firearms, uh, screaming "Shut up!" and put the money in the bag. <laughs> the kid has no reaction to this whatsoever, and he holds up his his uh his like cup of goodies, and in Japanese because this is a Japanese character, uh, he says like like these are really tasty. Would you like one? And then uh, we have this lingering shot of Nick Cassavetes uh, brandishing a desert fucking eagle in his face. Um, and we don't see what comes of that, but it it's, you know, you can kind of piece it together. It's well, like, I'm pretty sure that kid is dead.
1: <laughs> well, a, f- a fun motif uh, is are the gumballs that keep coming up. They're all brightly colored and there's assorted colors. Uh, but when Cassavetes, he like gets the kid in his sights and he's like going to shoot the kid. When he does, blood doesn't splatter, gumballs splatter, which I thought was kind of cool. I, I did think that was kind
0: of neat. Yeah, it is a neat recurring motif. Uh, I did enjoy that myself as well um and there's a bit where they they uh show in painstaking detail the the gumball machine exploding from behind the kid that mm-hmm. is actually kind of effective it's a neat image yeah. yeah it works uh is i guess the extent of what i'll say about that um but then we do a hard cut uh from that scene uh to what appears to be uh like a red light district street yes, like dirt sir. dirt road. Um, from like 1500s Japan. Yeah. I was like,
1: <laughs> these are, this is like, uh, yeah, 1500 sex workers basically. Uh, just, yeah, quick cut. And it looks like our character Bernice, pl- uh, played by Sofia Butella, um, she seems to be in a hustle, in a hurry. And it looks like she is trying to
0: escape from this place yeah uh, she and her uh, her band of gal pals uh, they're all dressed in kimono and uh, they're wandering down the streets and actually it's it's via these shots of them maneuvering down the street that uh, initially this this set is introduced to us via like a, a long dolly shot uh, just showing the length and the breadth of the set and by the way some of the sets in this movie are pretty fucking tight um, in particular uh, this I mean there's only two major sets uh, there's this one, I guess you would call this samurai town, um, and then uh, the the one in the ghost lands. Uh, it's basically the the town with the big clock in the yeah. center of it. Yeah. Uh, both of the both of these sets are absolutely astounding to look at, and they make very good use of them. Um, but it's during uh, it's after this dolly shot that we're introduced to Sofia Butella and her her two lady friends um, that we start to see uh, more of these anachronisms pop up in the production design, uh, largely in the form of like neon signage again in our like 1500 style architecture Japanese town, um, as well as just like hanging electrical fixture lights and whatnot. Um, and then what's more after they run out of the town and actually we have this bit where uh, it's almost a lot of this movie has some like strangely creepy atmosphere to it, largely in the form of, uh, I don't know uh, synchronized uh, behaviors on the part of like large groups of extras like people people singing together people clapping in time together uh just like group behavior uh, that comes across as like weirdly cultish and unnerving i don't think it's actually meant to be like horror or anything but it just has an off-putting quality to it Um, it's like a reminder of like our our character's status as outsiders in their environment or something but um we see all like the courtesans hanging out on the balconies and whatnot like cheering them on and telling them like hurry up escape run away uh so it's it's made explicitly clear um that they're escaping from something and then it's this bizarre transition where we see them running out of the town which as i said is like a town out of time um and then we just do a hard cut of them like piling into a car <laughs> and, and like but mind you they're in kimono which isn't necessarily period garb um but in this setting it makes it's evocative of that it makes you think you're in a different moment in time and then they all just, like, hop into, like, a modern-day automobile. And it's just this, this weird feeling that you get from seeing it. But um, anyway, they all pile up into the car together. And uh, they drive off from the town. And the, the lighting, the, the color scheme, radically shifts. Because now we're out of the town. And we're in, like, like kind of like a gross backwoods-type area. Like it, It's like an unhealthy forested area with dirt roads and whatnot. No paved roads or anything. And uh, this is where we get our first instance of them... Uh, passing by the uh, street sign, Kyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you notice this recurring motif here? Yeah. Yeah, so they drive by this street sign and it's it's really faded and rusted, but I think it reads uh, uh, Warning Area FNSS 244. And every time we see a vehicle pass by this sign, it twirls around. Um, they drive by the sign and instantly, like just like hard cut, uh, they're presented with this. Uh, really intimidating image of a row of like traditional like samurai <laughs> like samurai like wearing like the full get-ups and whatnot brandishing katanas with face masks um standing in this misty clearing with what appears to be a prison bus and a whole bunch of uh stripe garbed uh prisoners with their heads bowed uh down before them um what did you think of this imagery kyle it was really awesome, and I was looking
1: forward to that being something that's actually in the movie, uh, but it's not. So it's kind of disappointing.
0: Yeah, uh, from a visual standpoint, it does look really awesome. It only appears a few times in the movie, but they don't actually make any sort of impact on the story. It's nothing. Like, yeah, there's there's it does nothing. It's just cool imagery. That's it. It's legitimately really cool to look at uh, the costuming, uh, the the lighting, everything about it looks astounding. Like like the attention to detail with like the smoke machines and and the floodlights coming from the bus. It's a really striking image. But as the film progresses, you keep wanting like they keep showing up and they never actually do anything. Even when we have a moment where like they explicitly state they're going to do something, it's like, well, well, what 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 did that do to help like like did you did you have any bearing on the plot whatsoever because it really doesn't feel like it other than to just like look cool every 20 minutes um but yeah uh, we do a hard cut from that and sofia butella wakes up in what appears to be a bombed out slum town uh by herself like on a mattress like on the ground out in the exposed air and this is where we're uh, we're introduced to the other major set uh for this film so this would be like the uh, i guess the ghost land town uh, where the the large clock is featured but um they make pretty good use of this setting because uh, we get this uh, decent length just like walkthrough of her like dressed in rags kind of like walking through this blasted terrain we get to see the the full size and scale of the set and it is legitimately impressive and i believe it's this point where we get a hard cut away from her just crying out to the heavens i'm not a prisoner followed immediately by the title prisoners of the Ghostland. it's like ah lady i think you might actually be a prisoner <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> i think it might be yeah you know but um and then yeah we go back to the town and uh it's just kind of town ta- it's like like the the town as like business as usual from what i can get uh, is what we're trying to convey here uh, it it seems like a town that's in like a full ve- like a perpetual state of like festival mode mm-hmm. uh, some some sort of like I don't know annual festival or something but it never ends uh, because everybody's dressed again in kimono uh, not necessarily period garb but it, it fits the setting everybody's wearing, wearing like kitsune masks like fox masks and they're playing with balls and there's bubbles and stuff but um, at one point uh, we see uh, Nick Cage uh, get dragged into town um, also, we have this really striking moment where uh, there's this there's this board, Kyle, uh, with all the women, with the, all the women's faces poking out through it. Uh, did you notice that? Yeah, I didn't know what that was all about. Um, I actually don't either. Like, I, I'm not an expert on Japanese culture. I only know what I know, and uh, this is them singing some sort of nursery rhyme. But it's this, this giant placard um, that has all these women's faces poking out through holes in it, and they're making like circular motions with their necks. Um, and they're singing a nursery rhyme uh, synchronized again. Um, and it's a, just a really striking image. Uh, I don't really know if it has any bearing on the themes of the story or whatnot, but uh, from a visual standpoint, it's really impressive. Um, also cute uh, visual gags in this movie. There's there's numerous visual gags in this movie um, that are seeming like, some of them are explicit, but there, there are a handful of nods uh, to... Like other other films and other creative properties uh i noticed uh, rupan uh from from anime from like the the long-lived series dating back to i believe the 60s uh there's wanted posters posted up of him and some of his his like his teammates um rupan's like a, a thief rupan the third but i did see wanted posters of him and then very very late in the film we also get a lone wolf and cub a uh, Kozure Okami reference in the form of a uh minigun mounted on a baby cart stroller uh, which is an explicit reference to lone wolf and cub which i appreciated but um anyway nick cage is hauled into town and he's dragged into a prison cell and uh, he's shackled in the basement and uh we get a, a healthy dose of atmosphere here of him like in this basement prison cell and like people walking on the floorboards above him um and what's interesting here is i actually wasn't certain if he was going to have dialogue in this movie because as I had said i I had never watched any promotion for this thing, and i I had heard that that was the case in uh Willie's Wonderland, oh uh, for better or for worse, apparently he, his performance is largely mute in that film he hes he like makes vocalizations, but I don't think he has any dialogue in Willie's Wonderland
1: he doesn't really have a lot of dialogue in this film about as much as
0: he has in Pig, honestly he gets more chatty uh in the like the last third of the movie but prior to that he has a speech yeah he he has a, a speech and he does get more chummy with some of the cast members in the last third of the movie but prior to that he is kind of doing a a man with no name kind of routine um it's it's not clint eastwood but um actually his first lines of dialogue in this movie almost made me think he was doing like a a very loose like john wayne impression or something um i i could be talking directly out of my ass john wayne wasn't especially welcome in my home growing up so i'm not very well versed in his filmography but there's just like a certain kind of like swagger and and like slowness to his speech cadence and the early goings in the film that made me think of that plus there's a, a massive like western motif uh playing out through this like the the entirety of the film um anyway uh at this point, uh, the plot decides to st- descend onto the film in the form of the governor. And at, it, Was this the point, Kyle, where he started to get alarmed? Yeah,
1: yeah, because he pops out of the car and he starts talking and I'm like, oh, I know exactly who that is. I recognize that voice anywhere. That's Bill Bosley. So yeah, this scene legitimately takes about 10 minutes for him to I'm- communicate. I want you to pick up my granddaughter. This suit was rigged to explode.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's largely all that's conveyed. But yeah, I'm looking at the timeline on it right now, Kyle, and I'd like to confirm this. Um, It is it is over 10 minutes uh, yeah. between when the governor's caravan arrives, uh, between when his, his sedan pulls up, and uh, when Nick Cage takes off on that bike which actually legitimately did make me laugh um i did, ingi- I you know did indeed i did w- indeed enjoy watching nick cage ride off on a bike <laughs> uh
1: i wanted more still in Skarsgard and dune like that's where i need 10 to 12 minutes with the with the villain because he was just a, just something to behold uh, in that movie uh, but yeah this was just like you don't need bill mosley on the screen for this long this is a bit
0: much let me ask you this Kyle. Would would Stellan Skarsgård would his performance in in Denis Villeneuve's uh, Dune would that have been improved by heavy breathing? <laughs> Just like yes. on the sound. Kind of like Darth Vader's respirator or whatever.
1: <laughs> um no, more like a uh, like to the point where it's like almost non-diegetic where it's like you hear the breathing but it's making you the the, the viewer uncomfortable. It's not so much that the people on screen can hear, but it's just like kind of in the background where you just uh, like you have that just that droning <laughs> breathing in the background. Absolutely.
0: I'm not going to lie, Kyle. There were parts in that movie where he was getting close to people. And mind you, if you haven't seen what he looks like, folks at home, uh, his his gut projects a good three feet in front of his chin. Yeah. Uh, so any dialogue between him and other people has to be conducted at minimum three feet from his face. So he can't get very close to people. Like, I, I legitimately found myself, like, pushing, pushing back, back in my seat chair because I was like, he's too close. <laughs> like, he's going to bump his belly into my nose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a legit fear. I understand. Get too close. You're too close, man. <laughs> oh, wow. I haven't thought of that skit in a long time.
1: Really? I think about a Chappelle's show skit about once a week, easily.
0: I think that's normal uh, for a lot of people of a certain age. Uh, for me, I, I didn't really watch a whole lot of it It was more mm. just like when i was at uh my friend's house it would be on so there's like select sketches from that show that i i i revere and i, I hold very dear but i i don't know all of them but yeah who I'm, who who the five best rappers in the world I, <laughs> and I grew- dylan 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 and- <laughs> you're too close man
1: <laughs> i i i grew up with people that we know that show backwards and forward. Like, we know every single sketch all the way through easily because we just watched the hell out of it. Because there was only, like, I think two complete seasons and maybe, like, some extra episodes after that. But, yeah, no. it's.
0: I mean, I I keep saying it over and over and over again, man. I I appreciate things that have endings, and that's probably why it was as good as it was Mm -hmm. was because there wasn't too much of it. Uh, So what you got was all gold. You didn't have any extra.
1: Well, there was there was definitely other it, there was other reasons why it was so short, but we're fortunate that what all <laughs> that we got was
0: gold, basically. Yeah, good times, man. Very good times. Um, but yeah, uh, the uh, the governor uh, shows up, as I said, in a Sedan, and his uh, his approach is heralded by um, a Frenchman uh, dressed as a cowboy, uh, informing the town uh, that the governor is arriving. Um, and not only that, there's like a retinue of uh, of women uh, walking on either side of the vehicle that continually chant uh, in like Japanese uh, phonetic uh, pronunciation, the word governor, just gavana, clap, 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 gavana, clap, clap, clap. Um, And this goes on for about two of the 12 minutes of the scene. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yet, you know, it wouldn't have been the worst idea to, you know, step on the gas um, to just get us to the fucking thing but um yeah this scene does just like play out at a very at a snail's pace and it, it is it is alarming uh, especially just considering like it's actually kind of weird and i was thinking about this while i was watching this and maybe that's a bad sign in regards to my level of engagement with the material um part of acting uh is inhabiting the character and uh, responding to prompts and information genuinely so the idea is your character should respond to new information presented to them as if they've never heard it before like that's that's the appropriate response it's like you as an actor should have read the script therefore it's known to you but it's your job as an actor to present a reaction uh, that conveys the sense that you had never heard that before that was news to me information that would have been useful to me yesterday mm-hmm. um i couldn't help but think and this is just me making assumptions an assumption ac- according to everett mcgill in the steven seagal classic under siege 2 dark territory stated assumption is the mother of all fuck-ups my assumption is that i don't think nicholas cage read this script because his reactions are far too sincere when bill mosley is talking at him for 10 minutes he looks like you can see the gears turning like he's like oh that's what this movie's about i didn't know that (laughs) he's like i probably should check that
1: (laughs) i yeah i feel like there there's a missing piece of allegory that we're missing uh and i think having that piece would make this make so much more sense from bare bones. What I'm getting from these performances is we are kind of saying something about Western culture and it's destructiveness more
0: or less. I don't know. That's kind of what I got out of this. So, I mean, if if we want to put our college caps on, yeah, there, there is a lot of imagery of traditional American types, even cowboys for that matter. Uh, dressed in white hats, for that matter, um, in positions of power over Japanese folks from a bygone age. Um, It it definitely has meaning to it, Um, Um, but I I did check on the intranets. Um, Apparently, there's a very large piece of the puzzle that some people uh, seem to have identified. I personally don't have any familiarity with the text, so I feel like a dum-dum. Uh, Which may in fact completely torpedo this entire episode, Kyle. Mm. Apparently, uh, uh, was it uh, George Orwell? Uh, Mm -hmm. Was it his Animal Farm? Yeah. Apparently, there's quite a bit of uh, symbolism directly connecting to that story. Uh, Oh, as I had said, I have not read the book. I don't actually know. Well, that's out.
1: So I was getting kind of a um, like a dictatorship vibe here—the way that everybody's singing and and praising. Uh, Yeah, 1984 is about as like allegory about Stalinism, basically. Um so I kind of I, I was kind of getting that sense when it when he came on the screen. I'm getting scream I'm getting kind of a dictatory what I kind of feel like it might be, be in North Korea. <laughs> like it would just be kind of uncomfortable and everybody's just kind of putting on a smiley face but not really feeling that.
0: Yeah, there there's that going on and then apparently the animal farm connection comes from not only the themes but also more explicitly in the form of uh, some of the character relationships and events. Apparently the uh, destruction of the clock at the end of the film is evocative of a certain scene in the book. Apparently uh, the Yasujiro character, uh, his position of being like obligated or like having a sense of duty attached to working for an unseemly individual. Mm -hmm. Apparently that there's a character from, from animal farm who has a similar relationship uh unfortunately like i said i feel like a dumb dumb because I, I i was I not required to read that book in high school i read a different book um so i i couldn't tell you either way but that's what some fucking strangers on the internet said so i'm gonna mention it and hopefully that can you know get us through to the end
1: <laughs> uh, i did like the there was something interesting about the um them actively trying to keep the clock from going forward like if they let the clock go forward
0: then the bomb's going to go off basically I really did like that image, actually yeah um, as soon as you like before they even draw attention to it, I, I caught the people like tugging on the rope on the on the minute hand of the clock, and I, I, I don't exactly know what I got from that, but it's powerful imagery, and this movie is actually not short of striking images. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is something I can praise it for. it's just it's more just like it, it fails to engage on the level I was hoping it would um just something about the characterization i feel like i needed i needed more and maybe even more than that just like i needed uh, a more steady pace uh, because it does have a little bit of a staccato rhythm to it that does rob it of a lot of its energy um but kyle uh i will interrupt us for a second to say um not too long ago uh, we got to see something on film that neither of us knew we needed but now we've seen it and we can't unsee it uh, so our review of The Matrix Resurrections, which is a quality episode you should definitely check out, folks at home. Uh, we revealed that uh, now we have seen Keanu Reeves take a shit yeah, on film. Mm-hmm. I didn't know I needed that. Uh, maybe I didn't, but I, didn't. I got it. Yeah, I got it. It, it. And it occupies space in my brain forevermore. Um, we've now seen uh, Nicolas Cage's buttocks um, in the year 2021. I'm pretty sure he's bared his buttocks in many a film prior to 2021, uh, but you know, every once in a while you got to check in on that booty, see where it's at. And uh, <laughs> we officially got our status update <laughs> um, as of 2021. Uh, Nicholas Cage uh, still has a butt. I couldn't tell you the quality of said butt, but I've seen it. <laughs> well,
1: actually, of the of his more contemporary films, I've seen more of his body than I've than I guessed I would have because he's definitely running around in his tidy whiteys and Mandy. Uh, he's down to his skivvies in pig, and then yeah, he's in a a
0: loincloth thong in this one. Yeah, uh, he's wearing Japanese style underwear uh, from a from a bygone age. Maybe people still do this, uh, maybe in like in like uh, spas or like bathhouses and whatnot. But uh, yes, this is like Japanese like loincloth style uh, underwear, and yes, Nicolas Cage is clad in that and seemingly nothing else uh, for this uh, 10-minute stretch of the film. Uh, So, yeah, we do get a a view of his butt, and uh, there's a lot of uh, chit-chat going on in the crowd surrounding him in the streets here when he's having his audience with the governor, and a lot of the uh, courtesans and and women in the crowd are kind of, like, teasing him. Uh, There's a lot (laughs) of—one of them, I couldn't help but think that maybe this was a reference to a a shitty Steven Seagal movie. Um, One of them calls him a cocksucker motherfucker, uh, in English, mind Mm. you. Um, and that just brought back so many wonderful memories of that, that clip immortalized uh, forevermore of, of Steven Seagal. Not necessarily Steven Seagal, but whoever stepped in to do his ADR saying that line. <laughs> oh, I think it was in Half Past Dead. But yeah, Steven Seagal saying, cocksucker, motherfucker. <laughs> um, we get that in this movie. But yeah, uh, one of the gals in the crowd is drawing uh, a very flattering uh, pencil sketch of Nicolas Cage. Uh, she she added some details some shading uh, to his midsection that's not readily apparent given the uh, the uh, lighting scheme in this film but uh he does disrobe at one point and uh she we see her like erase the the <laughs> the loincloth portion of her sketch and we can only assume what what she's drawing in there in its stead um but yeah as uh kyle had stated at at the very top of this recording um the plot um, is the governor has lost his quote daughter uh, bernice played by sophia butella um, so he's kind of tasking Nicolas cage with heading off into quote the ghost lands to recover her a place where no one apparently re- returns from um, but in order to assure that this task is carried out uh, he's Um, He places this uh, leather jacket on Nicolas Cage that uh, houses explosives on multiple key points. And if memory serves, the way it's explained is uh, there's a a throat bomb uh, for if he runs out of time. He has three days, but he gets two additional days if he can get Bernice to speak her name into what is essentially a Pip-Boy on his wrist. Um, He has bombs uh, on his forearms uh, that detect if he has uh intention to to raise his hand uh to a a harmless woman or a defenseless woman rather Um, and he has two bombs on his testicles uh, for if he gets a boner essentially um all of which actually for the most part come into play with the plot only problem is i don't think i need to explain to me in such detail so early on in the movie it's like we need to have an action beat or something to 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 get me off to a rolling start, I guess, but we do get to see Nick Cage like throw hands for a little bit here. It's actually kind of cute. Um, <laughs> I don't know who decided, or maybe Nick Cage himself decided. Like the Nick Cage push kick, like the 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 shuffle side kick, is is kind of like his bread and butter when it comes to his fighting technique in in the past two decades of his filmography. Nick Cage loves throwing kicks. Like, like like even even in that legendary like interview, like where he does the cartwheel and the high kicks and stuff, I think Nicholas Cage probably asks his choreographers to be like, Can we can we put some more kicks in there? <laughs> like, I like throwing kicks. <laughs> um, but yeah, we do get to see him like throw some hands with some of the like the cowboys and the samurai around him and also this is where we're introduced to uh, Yasujiro, uh who is uh, the governor's like right hand man. Yasujiro, Yasujiro. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've I've heard worse pronunciations. That's actually like, that's a slow and deliberate way of saying it. It most certainly has an accent attached to it. Um, but I have heard worse. I mean, it could have been Yasujiro. <laughs> it, Yasujiro would actually make me smile even more. <laughs> it
1: basically, sounded like Brad Pitt's character in uh, in Inglorious Bastards.
0: Gorlami.
1: Gorlami. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Same idea, Yasujiro.
0: Yasujiro. Or Yasujiro. Uh, yeah, Yasujiro. Uh, so Yasujiro uh, is portrayed by my boy uh, Tak Sakaguchi, and I was very very excited to see him because I didn't expect him to show up here, but I was delighted because I've 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 been following this guy's career for twenty plus years, man.
1: I like, even know I know you so well that I know the Japanese people that you get excited about because when I saw him <laughs> come on screen, I'm like that guy's somebody, and I guarantee Trevor's going to mention him, and then I looked him up, I'm like, versus, he's going to, yeah, he's going to give me the whole backstory, so please, without further ado.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so folks at home, uh, you're probably not aware, being as this was years ago that we recorded this, um, versus uh, the Ryuhei Kitamura movie from the year 2000 uh, was a very early episode of Catching Up on Cinema, and it was one that I was very excited to do, because uh, for my personal history of like cinematic experiences. That was like a really early example of a movie that I identified and sought out like all by my lonesome. It wasn't delivered to me via television. It wasn't like, I don't know, presented to me by my parents or my brother, or anyone around me. I was just on the internet one day. I found a review for it and I pointed at it and I said, you know what? I want to see that movie. And I went out of my way to hop on the eBay and I, it, pay my dad some good hard cash like to to get a money order and mail it off to some stranger on the other side of the country to get a bootleg DVD of it. And uh tak sakaguchi was the star of that. And uh he's hang- he's had a long 20 plus year career of uh acting and uh stunt work in the Japanese film industry. Uh I always delight in seeing him cuz he's a he's a wonderful talent and he has a lot of charisma and the way he moves and uh, Uh, the creativity he exhibits in the way he choreographs a lot of scenes and he does do a lot of choreography as well but uh in more recent years his career has like branched off into some very interesting and unexpected territory like he has a youtube channel these days called uh, tuck channel uh, where him and a like a ninja sock puppet uh practice choreography techniques like action choreography martial arts choreography and then in between commercial breaks on YouTube, they go out and they they sample Japanese restaurants, uh, so it's it's like a food and and stunt choreography show. It's a variety program on YouTube on Japanese YouTube, and uh, I I really enjoy watching it. Um, my my Japanese language skills are such that I, I I can only get like a a third of what they're talking about, but it's it's a way for me to keep on top of that, and not lose what I've got. Um, and yeah, it was really interesting to see him pop up in this. Project Because it it was right around the time, I think, they were probably making this movie, uh, Prisoners of the Ghost Land, that he was also in the midst of uh, doing this this wild project called uh, Crazy Samurai Musashi. That the concept was, it was basically going to be a a one-cut, like a single-take samurai action film where he he kills hundreds of extras, like hundreds, um, at feature length. In one take, it it the actual film didn't end up being one take. It's more like uh, a couple of forty minute one takes, which is impressive considering all that we're watching unfold on the screen is someone swinging a sword and uh, not missing a beat in the choreography for forty fucking minutes straight without gassing out. Um, but that was like a a passion project of him uh, and the director and choreographer for of that film. Um, so I think he was kind of in the midst of that project when this one was coming together. Uh, so it's no surprise to me that he would be tasked with wielding a fucking sword in this movie being as he probably spent the past two or three years doing nothing but that in preparation for that project. But yeah, Yasujiro uh, is essentially the governor's bodyguard and uh, we do get like an early sampling of his skill uh, in this movie and from time to time, just periodic reminders that, oh yeah, that guy that looks like a badass and moves like a badass, so expect him to be the final boss fight at the end of this this movie. Um, and sure enough, that is exactly what comes together. But anyway, uh, Nick Cage is uh, strapped into this this leather suit with all these ex- explosives on it, and uh, he's given the keys to a Toyota Celica. Um, Kyle, I don't know much about cars. Is a Toyota Celica anything to write home about?
1: <laughs> I know just as much about cars as you. I don't think it is, but I could be wrong. I have no
0: idea. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's souped up or something, because, like, the way he drives it around makes me think that maybe somebody got excited, like, maybe got maybe somebody in the audience got half chub watching this sequence, but for me, I was just like, it just looks like a Toyota. <laughs> like, like, what the fuck's the deal? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what the significance of it is. Yeah, anyway, he, do, he does, like, a donut in the middle of the street, and then there's this comedic beat that I had mentioned earlier where he hops out of the driver's seat, and by the way, I'm curious if Nicolas Cage did his own driving, because... As you know, in Japan, they drive uh, on the right side of the vehicle, um, and I would imagine that's discombobulating as a you know a lifelong driver from the left side of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he just like hops out of the driver's seat and steals a bicycle and <laughs> takes off with it at not even at speed, just at like a, a casual pace. And for some reason, that image just tickled me. But anyway, Yasujiro uh, does like head him off at the pass and uh, force him to take the vehicle because we're operating on a strict timeline of three days. Um, And then very shortly thereafter, Nick Cage comes across the the same street sign that we'd seen earlier and seemingly comes across the same fate uh, that befell uh, Sofia Boutella earlier in the film uh, in the form of encountering the ghost samurai and the prison bus, um, at which point he tries to drive through them and instead crashes into a rock face (laughs) and and is knocked from the vehicle and, and unconscious.
1: Yeah, and now the movie's gonna make almost no sense moving forward. The setup for the movie made sense. It's like, okay, I have to go save the granddaughter, but now we're in we're in the outer world. It out world basically at this point. Yeah. <laughs> we're in
0: outworld. <laughs> yeah, actually like not to bog us down, not that I already haven't done that, but I, I will point out that I think it's very fascinating that in uh now that we're in the twenty twenties, um, I feel like like video games uh, are officially starting to really make a huge impact on some of the aesthetics and some of the, some of the ideas that, that get presented on films these days. Because like before I, I feel like it was taboo. and also the relative age range of a lot of the directors maybe didn't have extensive backgrounds in gaming, like playing video games, enjoying video games, treating video games as a as a valid like narrative platform. But like in watching this, like I said, the the communicator thing, uh, the voice box uh, on on Nick Cage's suit, like I couldn't help but think of Fallout, uh, especially the more recent Fallout games, where uh, you're affixed with a gadget called a Pip Boy, which is kind of it's just this like wrist gadget that's like a, a catch-all does everything kind of thing, and also just the the tone of of Bill Mosley's voice speaking out of the voice box has kind of like a a retro kind of vibe to it, like it's it's not. 21st century technology it's like it's like retro technology
1: well I do think the most realistic uh, post-apocalyptic most realistic future we have ahead of us is Ready Player One Uh, (laughs) I think that is the future that's coming Uh, everybody's just going to be basically out of work and playing video games that's I think that's legit. <laughs> um, but there's something I want you to try to do. Uh, you won't have much time this year, but maybe if you find yourself at a Super Bowl party, pay attention to how they're filming NFL games now. Um, something that they do in Madden when you're playing the game Madden. You'll get up close on your players. Uh, but the crowd is so far back that they go out of focus completely. like they're just not, you don't see them in detail. They're actually doing that with football games now like you'll be it's a really interesting thing that they're doing with the cameras first not all the time but for some of the plays you'll see the players um like just come up after a touchdown and the crowd will be deliberately kind of blurred out to where it feels like a like those moments in madden and i picked it up on it this season i'm like that's that's interesting that they're doing that i don't know if it's just because it very much does mirror the game or if they're actually trying to keep like certain signs out of focus or whatever
0: yeah, um I wasn't aware of that. I'll have to I'll have to pay attention for that um if ever I'm watching football uh, before the end of the season. Um but yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was if that was very deliberate, like trying to create a, like a a one-to-one comparison between like the digital representation of the product and the the physical representation of it because I mean, like you said Ready Player One reality is right around the corner. I mean, uh, Replace playing video games with jerking off. And I think that's more accurate. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um esports are, are here to stay. Uh, it's it's big money. Um, I, I've been saying it for a couple of years now. I'm actually very curious if certain colleges are going to, or not just colleges, but like parents, are going to get to a point where they start encouraging their children, much like you would like encourage a child to pursue a, partic- a particular sport to better their future i wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing parents encouraging their kids to to play a lot more Fortnite or play a lot more digital npa 2k because there's legit money and potential for a profession in the form of you know developing skills in that area similar to how you would in actual sports and also in terms of probability it's probably equal no dude the the chances of succeeding in either of those arenas is probably comparable
1: we need more electricians go to go to a trade school kids don't listen to him go go get a trade
0: i mean that's the smart choice but nobody does that kyle that's boring yeah, um, right. but um but yeah I, I wouldn't be surprised being as uh, the nba currently has as far as i understand a uh, an arrangement where every actual team has a digital equivalent like Like every basketball team has a digital team in the video game, in NBA 2K for whatever release year. Um, So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe uh, the producers of the television broadcasts of those sports are trying to make it look the same as the game uh, because it's going to attract similar crowds. There's going to be crossover between those audiences. Um, But yeah, I I did notice some stuff in in this movie that did make me think of video games in particular and fallout most obviously uh, just the like the post-apocalyptic like blasted landscape and the the Pip-Boy and all that business but um yeah Nick Cage crashes his car and uh, he is rescued but not before having like a spectral vision of kind of like a blue washed out version of of the town that he had gone to uh, for the bank robbery, and he sees the little boy again, uh, seemingly alive and well. But we can tell this is a dream because the color palette's different. And oh yeah, there's a, a lingering shot of some like white, ghostly figures looking down at him from from like a rock face. Uh, we revisit this plenty of times. But Kyle, um, when he's uh, pulled into this uh, this ghostland town, uh, very similar to like. Uh, Maximus from a gladiator. <laughs> um, what did you? What did you think of this initial uh, approach to the town? Because I, I actually thought the imagery here was really cool. For some reason, Mortal Kombat
1: Annihilation just kept coming into mind. Like everything about it, like that movie, literally had like two filming locations. It felt like it's like here's some dirt. We're gonna have a fight scene here, and then we have our temple set up here, and that was pretty much it. So I felt like there was pretty much just two filming locations in this movie. We have the little town, and then like just right on the other side of the little town, we have the big clock. So it felt like it was just like right there. Um, the big clock town is, it's fine. I think the the actual construction of the big clock is pretty cool, but uh, it was still kind of jarring. It was like kind of like bring out your dead. Like he's <laughs> like kind of bring out your dad, just like. Going down like a little little pathway with people kinda of doing stuff on the sides. I, I was just trying to make sense of what it was. Like are are we are we in reality? Are we in hell? Are we in purgatory? Are we in another dimension? It was just very strange. So I, I was mostly trying to figure out what was happening.
0: Yeah, I I, I could see you taking that route. I kinda gave up. Uh, uh, in terms <laughs> in trying in terms of like trying to make sense of it, I was I was just like I'll I'm going to keep my thinking cap on but I'm going to wait and hope that maybe the film will point me in the right direction in terms of what I should be expending my energy on.
1: Well, it did get really weird really quick. Like not that it wasn't already kind of strange, but there was still you were still kind of grasping onto something like well maybe this is like the Bill Moseley like maybe he's just like an under under like some kind of underlord, like some kind of, you know, crime boss or whatever. But when you get to this weird like there's like like people behind, like people with, I, we know that it's people covered in mannequin pieces, but you had like people's, like the person sitting in the chair rocking with that on and like looks over at him, like, I'm like, this is very crazy. Like, I, I don't know what's happening. I'm going to hold on for a little bit longer to see what's happening, but I did give up shortly after this as well.
0: <laughs> well, folks at home, like, I'm, I'm not sure if I can't speak for Kyle, but what I mean by giving up in that regard is like, there's, there's a certain. Style of viewing a movie like this, where you you like really squint your eyes and you really try to like like turn turn over the gears and try to try to reach, like try to get ahead of the movie. Um, what I mean is, was I was firmly engaged, like I, I I'm watching the movie so I can talk about it, so I'm paying attention. I've I've just kind of like given up in terms of trying to guess at the meaning behind what I'm looking at, mm-hmm. um, but. All that aside, just from a visual standpoint, I was really impressed with some of the ideas here. Like, the the people dressed in, like, the the white, like, beekeeper slash, like, like biohazard suits with, like, the toilet paper streamers coming off of them. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Uh, especially when, like, there's a whole, like, parade of them on either side of Nick Cage, like, welcoming him in. And they're using, like, the bandages slash, like, toilet paper as, like, lines for him to cut through as they walk through and stuff and then like you said the mannequins where you have very obviously people wearing fragments of like rubberized like mannequin skin and stuff like performing pantomime of like a a life from a bygone age or something that that felt very fallout to me uh, because fallout has that atomic era like 1950s 1960s aesthetic to it um there's there's like some dioramas set up where you can see the mannequins like kyle had said like sitting in chairs and like kind of pretending to like stage a dinner scene and stuff it was very creepy very strange imagery and also like on a conceptual level from like in terms of costuming uh interesting i don't know what i got out of it if anything but it's interesting to look at but the the sheer scale of the set as well is is very impressive it's it's massive Um, and there's a lot of detail on display Uh, unfortunately as kyle had stated uh the i think what what's very jarring about the presentation of the film is that there's zero connective tissue between locations like we never see anyone in transit like there's a couple of shots of nick cage on that bike but beyond that we have no idea what separates the two towns in this movie um so it it feels like kyle had said like like we're just walking around to the other side of the set and that's that's just probably where it was. Um, it just, it doesn't feel like a cohesive, like actual world, mm-hmm. uh, which contributes to that like weird feeling of like, did we just like teleport to a different dimension? Is everyone in the story dead and in purgatory? Is it one of those? Cause I've, we've certainly covered those on catching up on cinema. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of those out there. Um, but yeah, they walk Nick cage up to, uh, this giant clock structure. And this is where I caught, uh, yet another language spoken in the film there's there's one woman uh in the cast exactly one woman and like she has a a throng of followers she's dressed in white uh she speaks mandarin from what my ear told me and i have no idea why uh she she's just the only one who does that same with some of the french speakers it's like we got a couple of frenchies in here okay (laughs) um it needs to be said that the cast in this film is is massively diverse like we have all shapes sizes and colors represented here but yeah there's just random chinese speaking woman in the crowd here that uh is apparently very important uh from time to time but i had no idea why Uh, she she seems to be a prophet of sorts and she does have like like a a group of women that follow her along and kind of repeat everything she states and she labels him almost instantly as having thick blood and he's our savior Uh, so she like pinpoints that this this stranger that has just been carded in, literally carded in, uh, is the savior to all of us. Um, at which point, Nick Cage gets to his feet and he immediately declares all of them fucking nuts, <laughs> which was kind of cute. Um, but yeah, he starts asking around. We're introduced to the leader of the town. He's a, he's a fellow with glasses named Enoch, uh, who I think reads some scripture from time to time, but he's more just kind of like, I don't know, the guiding force behind the town. It seems like they... They have, like, a a measure of peace uh, in the chaos of this town. Uh, they have a lot of rituals, um, all of which are kind, like, kind of spelled out to us, but not fully fleshed out. Like, like the one ritual is the giant clock piece that has a, a rope tied to it that apparently there's representatives in the town who just, like, rotate shifts uh, in holding the clock hands down and preventing this giant clock mechanism from functioning because if time moves forward, as they state we all explode again uh emphasis on again um and then the other ritual is the undertaker looking guy uh putting like affixing the uh the mannequin pieces uh to actual living people um and there's a lot of exposition here kyle did you did you make sense of this like why they do this i i had a lot of trouble figuring this out
1: oh no i wasn't paying attention uh, w- w- once they got to this, I'm like, I, I have no idea. This is too weird for me. This is, this is going to go over my head.
0: It has something to do with like the, the traumas and the, and the ghosts of, of, of existence, worming their ways into the, the souls of the young and robbing their will to live. Uh, so to prevent, like, protect them from that, they like encase them in these mannequin skins, uh, and apparently this process robs them of their ability to speak uh fuck if i know um i will say this much that the image of sophia boutella with just one eye exposed like having to emote non-verbally and just with like a sliver of her face exposed i actually really like that image i thought she conveyed the correct emotion and the correct measure of emotion despite you know being robbed of so many of an actor's assets so good on her um, but yeah, Nick Cage shows her the photo of her and her friends and tries to get her to remember herself. Uh doesn't take. Uh, she can't speak uh, because apparently that's a thing that happens. Also, Kyle, what did you think of the Rat Man? Do you remember the Rat Man? Mm-mm. God damn it, Kyle. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I did not watch the movie. <laughs> I was done with the
1: movie at this point. I was, ba- I was just taking notes like, okay, this is kind of happening. I have <laughs> Outworld, Junkyard Ghosts. Guy says this is Ghostland. Now, Bernice is in the mannequin, and then my next note is one testicle down. So that's that's where the jump is from there.
0: Okay, well, I mean, if anything's going to get you back on board with the film, an exploding testicle should rightly do that. Uh, so I'm glad you took note of that. But, yeah, um, the Ratman is a character that uh, he's basically a junk hoarder uh, that lives in the ghost land, and uh, he has a, a gang of dudes who all have these, like, like bushy get-ups on their shoulders they just have these like giant pauldrons of like bushy like junk material and he has a helmet Uh, he also has like an electronic uh, modulation on his voice that he's speaking english most of the time um through a japanese accent with electronic modulation without subtitles because the subtitles only decide to display electronic voice Mm. um made it a little difficult to understand the rat man but the point is he's just like a sapper he's just like a a junk hoarder uh that has a collection of trucks and other gadgets and stuff that he's hoarding that you would expect to come into play but the movie just kind of fucking forgets about it it was kind of a letdown because like it's actually kind of funny apparently bill mosley has a small role in uh sam raimi's uh, army of darkness uh, I wasn't aware of that until I was glimpsing at his filmography earlier in this recording, but funny little connection because parts of this movie very much remind me of Army of Darkness where you have a stranger coming from a different time and place, uh, coming into like an oppressed town, uh, teaching them technology, fashioning a mechanical hand, mm-hmm. like ring a bell. <laughs> um, so I wouldn't be surprised if you know Shion Sono has seen Evil Dead 2 or Evil Dead 3, uh, Army of Darkness that is. Um, but yeah, uh, there's that building to death coaster scene from Army of Darkness where they they like rebuild his vehicle, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then like the the Zack Snyder Dawn of the Dead, similar to that, they they fashioned some like death machines to escape the zombie hordes and whatnot. We have like a little bit of a, a build up to something like that at the conclusion of this film, but there's nary a truck in sight for the finale of this movie. I don't exactly know what happened. Uh, it's puzzling. Uh, to say the least but um yeah the exploding testicle comes in the form of nicholas cage for like three minutes straight um saying the words take it off um while uh it, it's it's bizarre it feels like a robert de niro acting moment honestly i've noticed robert de niro has this thing especially earlier in his career where he finds a phrase to repeat over and over and over and over and over again yeah um like whether it be uh, like harder when uh, Joe Pesci's punching him in Raging Bull. Uh, you never got me down, Ray, also from Raging Bull. Come with me now is my favorite from Casino. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Robert De Niro does that. He just finds like a thing to just say over and over and over and over again. Yeah, you just um, add
1: different shades of anger or frustration over
0: each one. Yeah, just different tones. Yeah, come with me now. Come with me now. Come with me now. Come with me now. now. <laughs> come with me now. <laughs> um... But in this case, Nicolas Cage has take it off, and he's doing it because Sophia Botella is borderline catatonic. Uh, he has gotten her out of the town, and he's intending to leave with her, but he needs her to say her name into his Pip-Boy on his wrist uh, to extend the amount of time he has before his neck explodes uh, via the leather jacket he has. Um, and she can't speak because the mannequin process or the ghosts attacking her or something causes that to happen. Uh, so he's pissed off and he, he's like taking, he's not like groping her or anything, but he's just like taking off all the scraps of mannequin stuff on her. And he, every time he does, he says the phrase, take it off. And at one point he apparently enjoys himself a little bit too much. At one point he physically threatens her cause he's, he's mad. His life is in danger if she can't speak. Um, and, uh, he does get a stern warning from the bomb on his forearm um, but yeah, apparently he gets a little too excited, and it results in one of his testicle bombs going off. And I'm not going to lie, the, his reaction to it and his uh like running around in a circle as a result of it did actually make me chuckle. It was funny. <laughs> uh,
1: it's because he was giving her water for some reason. That gave him a boner.
0: Yeah, yeah the, the sight of a woman choking on water. Uh, I mean, it's Nick Cage. I'm not surprised. <laughs> but, but apparently that got him... Enough excited that, that that bomb had to go off. And, of course, he passes out from the trauma because, I mean, you you got you to gotta be made of some different stuff uh, if you don't pass out from that. Um, but, yeah, he has a f- another flashback, a more fleshed-out flashback. Well, uh, kind of. No, no, no.
1: It's not, it's not quite fleshed. Out. A little bit more, not much, because we basically replay the whole opening scene again. Um, I call this the ball-lost dream with uh, Psycho who is the fire marshal bill silhouette that we're seeing with the, uh, the marauders there.
0: (laughs) Oh, oh, uh, keep going, Kyle, but I just want to point out previous episode of catching up on cinema, a twofer, a very rare double feature. We've only done that. I think twice Kyle, uh, was the lure. Yeah. Halloween kills and a highway to hell and another Japanese film, uh, audition. Mm hmm. Um, so Highway to Hell, do you remember the uh the the traffic cop yeah. with the sunglasses and the melted face? Yeah. Fire Marshal Bill, Look, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he looks like Fire Marshal Bill in <laughs> this movie. Anyway, go on. Let me show you
1: something. Um <laughs> So yeah, we get the bank robbery, um, and then we see Cassavetes uh just decides during this bank robbery to start shooting people. And
0: what what kind of gun is this again? A cannon? <laughs> it's a desert eagle. I think it comes in like what 357 or or 50 caliber (laughs) i think it's supposed to be 50 cal (laughs) yeah uh most commonly in video games anyway, because that's where i learn about guns (laughs) is 50 cal (laughs) utah he has two of
1: these things and the holes that are going into people are very unrealistic uh he's blowing off pieces of people like that's what should be happening But he decides just to go ahead and just start shooting people. There's a scuffle between him and Nick Cage, but he ends up shooting this kid. Um, And, I mean, obviously, he shot the kid. That's the main ghost that's been ghosting. Um, But this is where we learn that they run out of there, and this is where the cops come, and Cassavetes decides to... Psycho decides to start shooting at the cops. Um, And in doing so, the cops start shooting at him, and Nick Cage starts running. And because he starts running... He's getting shot at by the cops, and then starts shooting these innocent people that are bystanders. And one of the little, one of the people that gets shot was young little um, uh, Bernice. She gets shot in the leg.
0: Yeah, uh, prior to him passing out from the testicle explosion, he did note on her, on her leg, on her thigh that she had a nasty like bullet scar. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we see that actualized here in the flashback that there was a girl present during. The- the aftermath of the bank robbery they ate a bullet in the leg and uh cassavetes calls out to him traitor over and over and over again as he's running away Uh, there's a lot of repetition of that that doesn't carry any meaning to me personally but you know is what it is um but yeah uh nick cage awakes uh from the dream and uh he's very swiftly accosted by uh, a bunch of prisoners um I, I was very confused by this because I didn't really know where they came from or why. But the very next scene is both he and Sofia Butella back in the ghost land. Well, and may, maybe, maybe that's how it works is that the ghosts don't harm you. They just prevent you from leaving.
1: No, so they take her and leave him and then he just appears there.
0: Yeah, that see this is I, I felt like I missed something, but you're confirming it. I don't think I did. No it, it's just the movie hiccuped a little.
1: Yeah, they just did not show him going back there. And then I don't really know what happens next, but they end up coming back.
0: Yeah, they, they end up back in the town and actually we get one of my I don't know if I'd call it one of my favorite parts, but one of the more interesting parts of the movie. It makes me curious how much uh, background Shield and Sono has with like performance art. Uh, because in particular like buto like buto is like a, a really funky style of japanese performance art that it's meant to be unnerving it's meant to be counterculture it's meant to be unknowable it's weird i, I had a friend who did this shit i would go to her shows and it, i'd just be like i'm clapping because that's what you do i have no fucking clue what i just witnessed but it made her happy so <laughs> but oh, i'm sorry are you talking about the slideshow that they're about to do I
1: loved it. That's the best part of the movie.
0: Yeah, I, I okay. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you because the presentation of it was really interesting. Uh, we have like mm-hmm. five or six performers all performing pantomime and speaking in unison, uh, narrating all the slides. And even the presentation of the slides, it's super low-tech. Even the lighting uh, displaying the slides, like all the painted images they are being pulled out, they're like literally hand-painted cards that are illuminated with candlelight. Uh, it feels very antiquated. It feels... It feels like, like a traditional art form of some sort, but the style of pantomime that they're doing feels like modern-day performance art or something. Um, it's almost like, like reciting like a children's book or something or a prophecy. It, it's really cool, mm-hmm. um, and it, it kind of spells out some aspects of the narrative that I guess uh, make clear the internal logic of the film but do very little to give you any anything to grasp onto uh, it just kind of like explains some of the details that maybe you were you were wanting to know a little bit more but basically they tell the story of a situation where there was a town that had a nuclear reactor uh and uh, there was a truck that was hauling waste from said nuclear reactor that crashed with a bus full of prisoners which resulted in a nuclear catastrophe Um, that poisoned the land and uh, horribly burned all the people involved in the crash um, and seemingly resulted in in this like blasted trapped landscape that these people currently inhabit Um, i have seen notes uh, online maybe reaching further than they ought to i don't even know Uh, comparing aspects of this to uh, the japanese government's response to the fukushima Uh, nuclear incident in recent japanese history and the you know the citizens reaction to that uh, maybe that's the case where there's some allegory present uh, because the japanese government response to that was not especially well received they also they said that the reactor people denied it just
1: say that nah it wasn't a big problem
0: yeah there is a lot of emphasis on they were uh, not taken care of Mm. Uh, they were not acknowledged uh so yeah maybe there is maybe there is some validity to to that
1: she says we asked the tower people for help but they refused and said that it wasn't their problem or they didn't do anything basically which that sounds about right yeah
0: yeah um anyway after that slideshow apparently we we go back to nicholas cage passed out on the ground um and bernice is with him and uh uh, I believe during the scuffle with the, with the prisoner people with the ghost folk um, Nicolas Cage somehow caused the uh, one of his forearm explosives to go off uh, so a combination of the trauma of losing a testicle and having an explosive go off on his arm like knocks him unconscious and puts him near death um, and somehow uh, the emotional trauma of witnessing this causes Bernice to uh, overcome her, her muteness uh, and speak into the pit boy on Nicolas Cage's wrist uh, just in time to prevent uh, the neck explosive from going off. Uh, so she's somehow coming out of her stupor, and uh, we don't know at this point if Nick Cage is alive. He is. Um, but we don't have time for that because we got to cut back to the town uh, so we can watch Bill Mosley uh, be a fuckhead. <laughs> kyle's rolling his eyes
1: (laughs) this again takes up like eight minutes of screen time it feels like it takes forever uh he calls yasujiro to do something and then he says tick was it tick tock tick tock tick tock tick tock tick tock that's that's the whole thing that's and then they kill a traitor
0: yeah there's a woman uh, one of the courtesans, or something, uh, that he is accusing of having helped Bernice escape, or inspiring her to want to escape, uh, and he has Yasujiro uh, depacketate her yeah. with his katana, and we do get to see Bill Mosley hanging out with a bunch of courtesans and whatnot, and he he has a make it rain moment, um, which, as Kyle had said, maybe some of this imagery is meant to kind of point a finger, like. I don't know, U.S. relations with other parts of the world, <laughs> for sure. I mean, not that, not that Western
1: culture doesn't deserve a nice uh, finger jab in the chest. <laughs> uh, it did feel pretty, to, to the point where, like like I was saying earlier, it's like it feels like we're kind of taking shots of Western culture. You're like, that's kind of like a, a college freshman analysis. So I'm like, that's the best I can do with this. It does seem to be a little too on the nose, too easy for a director like this, you know what I mean? Like it feels like there's something more to it, but that
0: was the best that I could glean from it. And, and myself as well. So don't, don't feel that you didn't do your due diligence. It's okay. just, you know, some, sometimes messages, however meaningful they may be to the person trying to present them. If you don't, if you don't present them correctly, then how can I be expected to receive them uh, as such? But, um, yeah, also, uh, we didn't mention that there's another, uh, dot quote daughter of uh bill mosley i think it's he refers to as his uh, granddaughter uh this would be susie uh who is uh portrayed by a japanese actress uh, yuzuka nakaya uh not an actress that's known to me she has an interesting look to her um but she's she is manic throughout large portions of this film um and in particular every time her sister comes up like she she has like very public freakouts, And uh, she, at one point they, they literally just shove her back into the car while she's freaking out. <laughs> it's, it, it's not meant to be funny. It isn't funny, but just the sight of a diminutive Japanese woman, like not even being asked to shut up, just like, you got to get back in the car. Lady. Yeah. <laughs> and they just like push her in and shut the door. Um, but uh, there's that moment that I just wanted to bring attention to for one second. Uh, during uh the initial dialogue between the governor and, and nicholas cage um where she starts singing uh, like a nursery rhyme about a grandfather clock and the movie just stops for a minute and a half for the whole town including the governor by the way uh to just kind of like joyfully sing along with her like i said i don't there's i don't think this is meant to be conveying like a sense of horror or anything but there's just an, an unnerving quality that comes with uh, seemingly, reality grinding to a halt in favor of everybody just like doing doing this this groupthink behavior. Uh,
1: um, I'm sorry, Trevor. There's one name that just keeps popping up in my head as you're talking and as I was watching this, uh, and that name is David Lynch. Um, that- <laughs> <laughs> so I was just thinking, like as you were talking, I'm like, I bet David Lynch loves this movie. I bet people. <laughs> He would be the one who's just like, this is a fantastic film, you should watch it, it's it's the greatest thing. So apparently, in IMDb, I didn't put this together until I just looked up David Lynch real quick. Uh, apparently this was the director's uh, favorite Nick Cage movie and the inspiration of his work. I don't know how true that is, but apparently uh, Wild at Heart. And I'm like, Wild at Heart, huh, I've heard of that. That's directed by David Lynch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so there's a reason why i can feel david lynch david lynch's presence in this film because it makes about as much sense to me as a david lynch film
0: yeah uh no comment (laughs) (laughs) um i don't i don't have enough experience with his oeuvre uh, so i can't i can't comment but um if that's what you saw that's what you saw i don't blame you Mm. (laughs) um but yeah, uh, Nicholas Cage does arrive back in the Ghostland town uh, after that brief episode where we saw Yasujiro depackage a woman, and uh, apparently Sofia Boutella thought he was dead, so he just marches his ass back into town. And uh, he... God, did you notice like his his face during this entire sequence? Yeah, he
1: is just staring off into space, not blinking. It's yeah, he. <laughs> It's a little Castor Troyish, ish um, A little bit a little, little bit. a little bit. A little
0: Castor Troy after the pills. Yeah,
1: after the pills. Yeah, very much. Uh, with Cassavetes. Uh <laughs> Yeah, yeah, with Casavetti's. It makes sense. Yeah, no, it's, it's very strange, and I don't even know what he says here. I was just fixated on his crazy eyes. And I think what's making it even crazier is that uh, his face is in shadow, so like you can't, it, it, the light's just not hitting his face, so it makes it even more weird
0: yeah it, it's a bizarre take on the material again i don't know what the direction process was on the set i would not be surprised if nicholas cage was given a lot of wiggle room to just kind of do things um some of the editing feels that way for sure uh, i'll point out when i see it but there's there's just these little things that feel like maybe they were improvised in the moment or like in editing they decided to or on the set maybe they decided to like change up the angle and 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 have him do a retake of something that was improvised just because it was like, Oh, that's what that needed or oh like thank God we have Nick Cage on the set and he can give us material that wasn't necessarily on the page. Like in particular like him uh like juking, like him like like pull like rearing back to throw punches at at some of the guards in the opening uh, with the governor that felt like maybe it was improvised some of that hi-yah motherfucker stuff he did in the Ghostland felt like maybe it was improvised uh similar to how i believe some of like his uh comic book references in some of his dialogue in more recent films seems like maybe nick Cageisms. i seem to remember him doing that in mandy um and maybe even color out of space as well um but also like during his speech there's a couple like weird angles where it's just like i'm pretty sure they shot that after the fact just because he improvised something and they're like let's do that again and, and do it right but um yeah uh, his dialogue here basically he he's just like staring up into the sky while sophia Potella is like like trying to make sense of what he's saying he says like every day i have the same nightmare of these these ghosts of people that i've hurt people i've harmed uh, only difference is like this most recent iteration of the dream, um they spoke to me, and they told me uh, you you have something you have to do, um, and they've tasked him with 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 continuing to live so he can do a good thing is how he interprets it, I guess., uh, but the way he delivers it is just so bizarre and manic, but um what follows is is another just kind of bizarre sequence that it's cool i appreciate it because i like the guy um but it contributes almost nothing to the narrative flow and that would be we cut back to the samurai town so yasujiro can cut a few people like like it's just a needless action scene that again is executed well i love seeing takaguchi Taka- like cut loose and you know stab a dude in the back of the neck that was tight Did it contribute anything to the story? Uh, No. We learned that the reason why he's working for the governor is apparently because his sister is, like, working as as a prostitute for the governor, um, and he's, like, indebted to the governor to prevent her from coming to harm or something like that. So it's it's a trope in Japanese storytelling where, like, servitude, duty, things of that nature in, like, especially older like japanese stories that oftentimes that's like a a strong narrative through line for things it's like somebody will put their foot down and say i work for this guy i i i serve my life my life for this lord or whatever and then they die happily in the service to that person but we have this like fractured relationship between him and the governor that contributes fucking nothing Nothing. (laughs) other than a couple of cool action scenes which again like i said i i appreciate because i like the guy but i don't really know what i was supposed to get out of it it's not like it it's not like his character needed to be particularly like layered or anything like that neither and nor does he particularly come across as that because that's not revisited again it's a, it's exclusively in that scene basically um anyway cute moment nick cage sofia butella uh, drinking some water with some kids Um, And then we get a Mad Max moment, which a lot of this movie does make me think of the Road Warrior in particular. It's hard not Uh, to, yeah. It's hard not to, because it's post-apocalyptic. It has a lot of dirt, um, a lot of bombed-out landscapes, and a guy in a leather fucking jacket Mm. (laughs) um, speaking to the masses and saying, like, I'll drive your truck. (laughs) No
1: weird kid making animal noises with a boomerang, but
0: hey, what are you going to do? Well, we do have... A couple of weird kids making weird noises. No boomerang, though. Because yeah. there's, lo- there's that gal in the, the black with the, with the big bangs mm-hmm. that she kind of, like, announces every Dude, time he comes into town and stuff. Cassavetes
1: has got, um, what's his face? Uh, Ver- oh, God. Vern. The fucking big Aussie from Mad Max. Oh, Vernon Wells. Vernon Wells. He's got the yeah. eyeliner on like Vernon Wells does in uh, Mad Max.
0: He does actually. Yeah, uh, yeah. Kyle, Kyle's absolutely right. Um, Psycho, uh, Nick Cassavetti's character, um, in particular, when he's not burnt to shit, mm-hmm. um, the scenes at the bank robbery and stuff, he does have, he does have Wes uh, eyeliner. Mm-hmm. Uh, most certainly does.
1: That I feel like that's a that's a nod. I could see that being a nod.
0: He's a big guy. Yeah, Nick yeah. Cassavetes is a big guy. He's so about yeah. the same size. <laughs> about the same size as him. Yeah, yeah. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a nod there. Um, but yes, yeah, this whole this is where Nick Cage gets to uh speechify for a minute, and uh what I was alluding to with some of the editing and the camera work here, there's a couple of this whole speech quote speech is delivered in a very staccato rhythm where like there's a lot of awkward pauses and there's a lot of bits to it that feel like not necessarily improvised, just a lot of Nick Cage putting. Not necessarily the wrong emphasis, but th- different emphasis on different syllables than you'd expect. Because there's like a pause and then he screams the word testicle. And we have a close-up dedicated to just that word. And it's just like, I'm pretty sure nobody told him to do that.
1: He just yeah, no,
0: read everything off the page. He just did it in his Nick Cage way. Yeah,
1: very bizarre. It's a It's a very bizarre delivery, but it was also pretty goofy and it made me giggle
0: yeah no it's it's a cute little speech um and it he follows it up by um mobilizing the rat man and his rat crew uh like kind of like conscripting them to as i had said earlier seemingly uh take their junkyard scraps and build weapons or like soup up their trucks they have lots of trucks kyle they have lots of fuel yeah they never use these trucks or these or these fuel canisters for anything but he, we have an entire dialogue sequence of him going and, at, tasking the Rat Man with helping him and all the other people in the village to escape. And then we have a montage. We have a straight-up montage of everybody in the town. There's a couple of people who aren't on board with trying to leave, trying to like press on through the Ghostlands. Um, we have a whole montage of them like grinding metal, taking scraps and like fabricating armor and and like weapon. Like weaponized implements and stuff, and nothing comes of it. Mm-mm. Like not a single thing comes of it. Uh, like the whole town kind of mobilizes. Like I said, there's a few holdouts. Actually, I will say there is one really awesome shot of uh Nicholas Cage um building his like his wrist, like a bracer essentially, because his arm was injured by the explosive. But he has like the a wrist guard and a hidden blade, apparently that he's like fastening onto his arm. It's just this really awesome shot of him sitting on the hood of a car while tightening that. And like the, the little girl who uh, calls out like the, the town caller essentially every time he shows up, um, she's just watching him and uh, he's backlit. Like it's like a, a dusty kind of like sunset, just a really cool shot. And then there's like a couple of just like gnarly dead trees as well. And, uh, hanging like their their silhouettes are in the frame as well it's a really cool shot um anyway uh they get the whole team together and uh we have like a <laughs> gangs of new york shot whereas nicholas cage and sophia butella uh throwing their fists up in the air and leading a crowd of people out of the town uh, nicholas cage has himself a busted ass football helmet <laughs> um, by mm-hmm. the way <laughs> um, that's a very i i knew why why that was there it comes into play in the final scene but it, it's a goofy-looking prop, and he takes it off almost as quickly as he puts it on. But uh, here is where, just as they're seemingly about to like march off and like maybe make it make a run at, at dethroning the governor and assaulting the samurai town with their trucks and with all the villagers and stuff, uh, this is where Nick Cassavetes as Psycho appears once again. This time, like it's fully revealed that yes, that is indeed him in heavy like burn makeup. And Kyle, what did you make of this exchange? I was
1: super excited for something cool to happen in the last twenty minutes of the movie. It they just he's just like, it's you, psycho. You were fun when you had a few shots of liquor in you. Now you're just Fire Marshal Bill, and <laughs> he's just like, we gotta take him down so that we can all leave. That's the best that I got out of this. But the the dudes, the ghost dudes, don't even do anything. They still just stand there, and they're not even a part of the attack. Stupid.
0: Yeah, I I wish I knew what this sequence was supposed to symbolize, but I just I don't really know what was going on here. So Nicholas Cage approaches him, and traditionally this would be like a scenario where you would have like a big throwdown or something. Uh, but I guess these are ghosts. Maybe, maybe that's off limits. Maybe you can't actually harm them. And it seems like the ghosts actually don't harm people. They do traumatize them, but it seems like all they really do when they come into contact with people is keep them from leaving uh the clock town i I don't really know what the arrangement (laughs) is there but anyway nick cage approaches him with a friendly atmosphere he's just like yeah you you and i used to be friends and then you shot the fucking kid (laughs) that wasn't cool um and nick cassavetes initially is kind of like there's some pushback he's like you betrayed me Uh, i got set on fucking fire Mm -hmm. that sucked I think I'm dead. I'm not sure if I'm dead. Nick Cage tells him, you're you're dead, buddy. (laughs) Hey, bud, you're dead. You're dead. (laughs) Um, But they come to some sort of agreement. Nick Cage informs him that like, uh, you're dead and you hurt a lot of people. So we, we all got to try to make good. And then Nick Cassavetes pulls back and says, okay, let's make good. Nick Cage go and kill the governor because that'll fix things i don't know what that means but i want you to kill the guy because mm-hmm. that's how the movie that's how movies end god damn it um so nick casvetti stands back he goes by the prison bus and he like claps his hands and a nuclear fucking bomb goes off <laughs> and nobody's hurt though i don't even know if the ghosts are hurt just a nuclear mushroom cloud emerges from behind him everybody witnesses it the soundtrack goes fucking apeshit by the way music by joseph trapanese who's uh, oftentimes a video game composer uh, very solid very solid like body of work under his belt he's done some good stuff in fact i want to say he worked on the the raid 2, uh, which has a phenomenal soundtrack uh check it out if you're into that kind of thing but anyway soundtrack goes nuts nuclear bomb goes off hard cut back to samurai town ghosts are out of the picture no more ghosts we don't talk about nick cassavetes anymore he is out of the film and not only that when we arrive in samurai town remember how we had the whole town backing us we had the gangs of new york shot where we're like following them there's no like irish flute and drums backing them that tune kyle that stuff haunts my fucking nightmares Mm -hmm. that that weird fucking flute and like and and drum tune that plays in gangs of new york whenever the dead rabbits are marching out for battle good fucking god it's it's like it's like off key and off rhythm in such a way that just like grinds my fucking teeth uh
1: for me that music uh makes that movie all the more chilling because of the scorsese-esque brutal violence that permeates that film uh so it just like it comes out of fucking nowhere you hear that and then you just know somebody's about to get stabbed in the stomach it's yeah
0: yeah, folks at home, check it out. There's a jar of ears in that film. Yeah. Uh, it does in fact get filled uh at one point in the film. I
1: I love that movie. Yeah, it's pretty great.
0: It is very good. Um I want to say the the production design and uh Daniel Day-Lewis are the stars of the show. Mm-hmm. Um but it has a lot of pretty awesome moments. Um, it I I've re-evaluated that movie two or three different times and i think i've come to the conclusion that i, I very much enjoy it oh it's fantastic uh, cameron diaz not my favorite part of it
1: yeah you know she wasn't <laughs> she wasn't the greatest yeah it's okay uh,
0: yeah it's not not everything has to be great for a movie to be great she's better in um, the counselor yeah, oof, that, yeah that's one i haven't thought about in a while but oof. yeah oh <laughs> that's
1: that's one of my that's one of my treat myself movies. That's that's one that I'll uh, treat myself to.
0: Yeah, yeah. That I was I was very happy to review that one, Kyle, because that was a movie that is generally not critically well regarded. However, when when you had me watch it, it's like, you know, I probably would not have watched this just because of the the talk around it, but I I enjoyed my time with it. And it's only because you brought it up. Glad I can yeah. help. Anyway, uh, as I had said, we had the whole gang together. We had the whole the whole Clock Town uh, set up uh, to invade Samurai Town and whatnot. And it's not like I need like a slam bang action conclusion uh, to finish a movie. Like uh, that's not necessary. I appreciate that. Um, this movie needed need, it. What well, what I need is for the math to add up. It's like if if you make certain promises, you have to. The equation has to add up at the end of it. And when you promise me trucks when you promise me rat men when you promise me an entire town versus an entire town you you can't deliver that in the form of just Nicolas cage and sophia butella walking into the town without any backup like at the very least you need rufio to swing in and help out or something at yeah. the last minute like you need backup to arrive or something because that's what was promised but no they they do not participate it is strictly down to just these two people it's bizarre
1: it i have no idea what happens in the last 20 minutes of this movie once it's i'm like there's nothing that was catching my eye i really except for the his 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 gaggle of ladies that are just like you're a loser now you said that you were going to do this but you're just a loser and they leave that was the only thing that i got from this
0: that was kind of fun yeah (laughs) i did enjoy that bill mosley being told he's he's poor and he's a loser yeah uh, that was good <laughs> no no offense to bill mosley like i actually no, do sure, think he's sure a very capable actor i do appreciate him in in the proper roles but in this movie not my favorite <laughs> mm-hmm. um anyway yeah just the two of them just like walk down the main street and uh the governor comes out to greet him and all that and uh, he has his gang of cowboys and samurai like all gathered uh, to intercept them and uh Nick Cage presents him with Sophia Butella, and uh, he wants the key to deactivate the bombs on him. And Bill Mosley just will not give it to him. So he takes Sophia Butella hostage uh with a knife, and I think Bill Mosley orders his men to shoot the two of them anyway. Um and as far as I could tell, Sophia Butella most certainly did eat a bullet in like the shoulder. Yeah. Uh, I didn't see if Nick Cage got hit, but the point is she's on the ground and so and nick cage is off balance um and then out of out of fucking nowhere like out of nowhere uh suzy uh bill mosley's granddaughter character the one that has the routine flip outs. she has one of those and uh she hops on a nearby minigun that as i had mentioned earlier is mounted on a baby cart stroller which again direct reference to lone wolf and cub and she just opens up on the goon squad and when i say that that sounds spectacular what what we actually get in the film is not particularly amazing on film like i was expecting like some like rambo four style violence i mean
1: it's a minigun
0: <laughs> it's a minigun it should turn people into chunky salsa
1: if that movie <laughs> if that movie did not have so much cgi in that in that moment that would be one of the greatest films like one of the most brutally greatest films of all time if it just wasn't CGI
0: <laughs> I still love it anyway It's it um,
1: is don't get me wrong it is definitely worth watching <laughs> No it's,
0: it, it's it's wonderful violence oh, just like spectacular violence
1: <laughs> It's 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 something else it really is I yeah, remember the I goodness. remember the day and meal that I was eating when I watched that film for the first time Spaghetti? No,
0: ribs. <laughs> oh even better yeah oh, we were eating ribs
1: ribs macaroni and cheese and we watched that movie yeah
0: oh that's perfect mm. something messy oh yeah oh <laughs> something yeah something something messy that you can drop <laughs> oh, yeah <laughs> oh that's wonderful but yeah i was i if if this had had that style of violence here unexpectedly at the end maybe that would have given me something more but no it's actually kind of like tame Honestly, like like we do get to see squibs, like actual physical squibs, which is always appreciated. Um, but yeah, she just like caps a few people. And there's like a orchestral track that plays here um, that I could not help but think like something about the style of choreography and like the dire consequences of the violence. Like, uh, like our heroes in danger and being presented with these insurmountable odds. Uh, it reminded me of like a John Woo film, actually. Like a vintage John Woo film, like it reminded me of a previous episode, uh, "The Killer," a little bit, like the church gunfight in particular. Um, something about just the tone, like there's a grave quality to it, where it sounds like things are getting hairy for our heroes. They're really not. Like our our heroes are mostly safe, honestly. But just the sheer number of bodies being thrown at them is pretty uh, impressive. But uh, Susie is shot. She does not die. Um, and then uh, this is where uh, the football helmet comes into play, Kyle. Mm. Uh, so I'm always keen on noticing details like this. So I was like, that's a stupid looking helmet. <laughs> Why is Nick Cage wearing? I mean, straight up, man. Like, you have a prop department. I've seen it. Some of the props and the costumes in this movie are, are spectacular. Mm-hmm. That's a dumb fucking helmet. It doesn't look good. No. But Nick Nicholas Cage is, you know, he's getting up there in years. Uh, he, he he likes his Doritos, I would imagine. Like he probably does yoga or some shit, but you know, he's he's probably not that limber these days. He does not do yoga. He does not do yoga. I was trying to be diplomatic, but yes, you're you're probably right. He probably keeps in shape, but not 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 like that hardcore. Like he can still move, but like he can still do a high he can snap off a high kick if he has to but you gotta you gotta like ask him in advance and get him to warm up and get him to limber up and stuff um but and he's probably sore for like the next week afterwards but the the football helmet is so we can have a stunt double for nick cage um because i'm almost positive this is a japanese stunt crew and i would imagine there are not that many japanese men on japanese stunt crews uh built like him mm-hmm. uh, that look like him uh, so, <laughs> so to mask his appearance I would imagine having a big stupid helmet like this probably makes it a little bit easier um, and so a lot of this a lot of his action here in the finale is staged very clearly by a double there's no there's no harm there's no shame in that I'm just pointing it out um, and it's actually quite well staged for the most part um, uh, the the choreography is on point. Uh, there's some neat beats here and there some creative stuff um but i'm i'm sorry it's just like when i see a big stupid helmet like that and a lot of shots from behind my my radar goes off and i'm just like that's not nick cage (laughs) it's like that's totally not nick cage not that there's anything wrong with that Um, but yeah he shoots a lot of people He, he slices a lot of people we discover that uh his forearm bracer that we saw him putting on earlier does have like a hidden blade in it um at one point, Susie is escorted away from the fighting by Sofia Butella. Um, and when Sofia Butella comes back, she abandons her sister, by the way. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> she picks up a blade, and I was actually curious what they were going to do with her because I know for a fact that she has an extensive background in dance. Yeah. Um, and one of her earlier international hits, like mainstream hits, was that Kingsman movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jesus. <laughs> where she plays the, the gal with the bladed legs. Yeah. Um, so I was when i when i think about those elements though i'm like oh i would not be surprised if you know presented with action choreography she's probably she'd probably be able to pick it up really easily sure she's a dancer um and yeah sure enough she doesn't get a whole lot of time on screen but when she's given a sword she can do some stuff um and she does get her own dedicated uh classic like 1970s 1960s uh, chambara kill where uh, she slices a dude in the throat and we get one of those uh pressurized blood tube effects uh where I, I i don't know if it's like programmed into my dna or something but every time i see that just it's just like yeah this is cinema it's basically they they put like a pressurized tube filled with blood and
1: oh yeah like uh bravo yeah the <laughs> Bravo! Bravo, yeah.
0: Bravo! I've... I watched
1: that the other day, Kyle. Oh, good. Good for you.
0: I, I watched the uh, With More Mamushka edition. With More Mamushka? Yeah. There's there's a, a 4K edition that came out last month uh, that has the entire Mamushka sequence. Uh, mm. Because, uh, folks at home, if you're not aware, if you listen to the soundtrack for the Adams Family movie, that's the movie we're talking about here. Yeah. If you don't know if what it is. Bravo! Do, if, if you couldn't figure that out. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you listen to the soundtrack for that movie the uh, mamushka track is considerably longer uh, than, than is actually in the movie so the with ma- more mamushka cut is not only a wonderful 4k presentation in the movie it also adds in additional footage uh, to complete the song Nice, and it's great <laughs> it's like why did you cut this <laughs> alright yeah it was very well it was very fulfilling i was, like, I was this, very happy this, about this <laughs> this is cinema <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah she does get a throat slit in here wonderful blood spray effect and uh then we get an oddly choreographed sequence where yasujiro and nick cage uh fight each other and some other samurai like the governor's men at the same time it, it, that's not a way to fight man mm-hmm. like like just just like if there's a guy in front of you and he's throwing hands at you just just get just make him get him got
1: <laughs> unless you're unless you're jackie chan yeah you got to focus on one person you can't just take pieces out of one at a time
0: yeah stuff like this is cute from a from a creativity standpoint i, I appreciate that like it's a novel concept but like it i can't help but think of uh, captain america civil war and, and just the notion of play fighting when Jeremy Renner is shooting arrows at Scarlett Johansson or, or, or at, at any of the other Avengers and then quipping in between all that, it's like, motherfucker, you just shot an arrow at my head. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, I'm going to, I'm going to tear your head off and shit down. I'm going to shove it up your ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's like, you can't play fight, man. No. Like you, you, you either restrain someone or you're, or you're straight up fighting them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so anyway uh, all these people get killed Uh, Yasujiro uh, does get killed as well um, by Nicolas Cage obviously Um, but just before that there is a really wonderful beat where they kick each other in the nuts Um, that was legitimately pretty funny Mm -hmm. uh, because just they're they're two different reactions where Nicolas Cage has that pause where he's like trying to keep it together and then he just screams out like fuck Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's like a pained kind of fuck but then we cut back and forth between him and Tak Sakaguchi, and Sakaguchi is very much playing, like, your traditional, like, I don't know, soft-spoken or, or man-of-few-words-style samurai, and so, like, he doesn't say anything, he just has this look on his face where it's like, that is a man who is trying his best to keep it together, but even even that's not enough. It, it's effective, it's, it's very cute. Um, anyway, we also get that bit where Bill Mosley uh, gets his money taken away, and he's declared a loser yeah. uh, by the women who were fawning over him earlier. Um, and uh, it's around this time that Takizakiguchi is killed um, in very traditional, uh, like Chambara cinema style, where instead of like the the rapid fire choreography, like like a lot of sword strokes and swords clanging together, it's just like no sound, cherry blossoms. He even puts the sword away so he can do like a proper like batojutsu like like draw the sword like like he would do like a quick draw in like a western movie and it's very traditional like samurai cinema style thing it's not particularly impressive but it's like it's one of those things that in a setting like this you expect it at some point and sure enough for the for the final stroke uh it makes sense to do it that way um but yeah sofia butella executes bill mosley she shoots the fuck out of him uh empties an entire revolver into him not a particularly inspired death for a for a nasty fella could have used a bit more tarantino in there i guess yeah you know like taking joy in the offing of a terrible person Mm -hmm. um that's sometimes that's cathartic you know sometimes i think that's very necessary sometimes it's like if if a bad per it's it's like the spielbergian law of of payback where it's like if you kick the dog in a spielberg movie you will get bitten half by the T Rex. Mm-hmm. Like, like you, you won't just die. You will be, you will be torn asunder. Something bad's going to happen to you because you did bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, the governor's dead, and uh, we cut back to the, uh, the ghost lands, and we see that uh, everybody's celebrating, and uh, they stop trying to prevent the clock from moving forward. At which point, the clock uh, falls apart and explodes, um, seemingly like freeing the town. Maybe that was the explanation as to why they couldn't be at the samurai town for the final battle. Although why have all the build up of them leaving if they if they couldn't leave in the first place? Maybe You're as you're, talking, you're
1: going You are <laughs> You are about to get into the weeds of trying to understand decisions.
0: I okay last thing I'll say, because I really don't want to expend any more effort on this than I already have, is maybe that whole situation with with them was more about the symbolism of it than it was the actual act of doing it what i mean is maybe them wanting to leave was the major breakthrough for them rather than rather than them actually leaving because like it's my understanding maybe they couldn't leave even if they wanted to only difference is they never wanted to until Nicolas cage and sophia butella had inspired them to Mm -hmm. that's all i got (laughs) no. <laughs> anyway, did you uh, did you get any meaning out of the last couple of scenes here in the movie? Absolutely nothing. So the last, so the last scene here is Nicolas Cage and the two gals. So that would be Bernice and Susie, who, who did survive, uh, presumably. Actually, because she asks, like, "Am I dead?" And they, they, they I don't know. Maybe don't... symbolically, like, maybe she actually did die, and maybe they're in some sort of purgatory or something. Because the lighting scheme has changed; it looks like it actually looks like a japanese like like a disneyland or something like a theme park Mm because they do have those in japan like like medieval times (laughs) (laughs) like they do have those towns and a lot of films are shot in them so like maybe samurai town reverted to one of those those tourist locations or something i don't know but they're all sitting at a bus stop together um and there was mention of a blue butterfly seemingly randomly because i don't remember seeing ab a a butterfly in the film up until the end of the movie but nick cage like two-thirds of the way through the movie asks about it Mm -hmm. i don't know why it was unprompted if you ask me he says like what's the significance of the blue butterfly and they're like "Uh, if you touch it you die and he's like okay i don't know why i cared um but yeah the blue butterfly is seen uh, in the last couple shots of the movie and it's just like a toy It's just like something in the middle of the street. It looks like a toy that a child would buy from a street vendor or something. Um, But yeah, uh, last shot of them is just them walking down the street with a a flask, taking some swigs of it, and then hard cut to credits. It's like, I I don't know what the fuck just happened.
1: Yeah, I have no no clue. I got more out of We Are the Flesh than this. Uh, That made more sense than this to me.
0: Yeah, previous episode folks at home. We are the flesh. Don't animals. Uh, li- la- la
1: <laughs> Don't listen to it. Watch the movie first.
0: <laughs> Actually, yeah. Uh, if if uh, you read the plot description and it sounds interesting, just just watch it. Just like, ex- like
1: just go in there. <laughs>
0: yeah that's one of those movies that they should end prior to the credits with just a slide that says you have experienced we are the flesh <laughs> now you Congrats go out into the, w- now, you go out into the world
1: <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> but yeah uh, that was a fun review though i'm glad we did that one that was probably was that the only sincerely fucked up movie we talked about that month
1: cannibal holocaust
0: okay yeah you got me there that's uh, i that think
1: that is that is a fucked up movie i think that's the most fucked up but yeah it's yeah, <laughs> yeah it's pretty fucked it's up. pretty fucked up
0: yeah we got we got like two out of four that month some yeah. of the other ones not so much but those two for sure were pretty fucked up but yeah uh, this was uh shion sono's prisoners of the ghost land from 2021 and i want to say uh that wraps up our uh 2021 reviews so i don't know what we're going to be doing next month but uh it'll definitely be something not contemporary uh that would be nice to to go back to movies from a different era i actually 2021 is not an especially revered year in cinema history as far as i understand uh
1: no because all the movies that came out in 2021 were filmed in 2019 Uh, so yeah
0: yeah it's just kind of the leftovers whatever we got (laughs) um but yeah uh any closing comments on this one, or are you totally tapped out?
1: Uh, check out Resident Evil Raccoon City, uh, <laughs> French Dispatch, and Antlers. That's what I'd say. And Pig. And definitely
0: check out Pig. Yeah, as Kyle had stated, uh, Antlers was actually one that he's been telling me about for ages. Like He was waiting literal years yeah. uh, to see that movie. Um, and it just so happens that um, the the like Blu-ray release of it uh, didn't quite come as quickly as he was hoping he yeah. he really did want to talk about that movie this this month but we'll we'll probably get to it at some point because yeah. i was curious after kyle told me about it so that's a someday project but, yeah um <clears throat> anyway that's a wrap on 2021 as far as our reviews for january 2022 go but uh, in the meantime folks at home if you'd like to catch up on any of our other catching up on cinema content uh, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com you can also find us on the social medias in the form of the instagram at catching up on cinema as well as the twitter at catching cinema so feel free to hit me up at either of those uh, and the show is available on pretty much every podcasting platform you can imagine including cephalopod so fucking google it google it uh, that being said thank you so much for listening and we will catch you next time
1: Big ups.